Hello, this is Ryan with Conspiratorial Conspiring, and today I'm going to make a podcast which is hopefully going to debunk the coronavirus myth that we've been living under for the last, I don't know, six months almost. It was March 11th when it was officially declared a pandemic. Also, very funny date with you know gematria ties, and but we'll get we'll get to gematria a little bit later in this podcast. Now, this is not going to be fancy. I'm going to be playing a lot of video clips. The audio is not going to be great. I'm not technology savvy, but I'm going to do my best to debunk this myth of that is being used for authoritarian control and to roll in the technocracy and I'm tired of the bullshit. I've called my local representatives in Texas. I've called the fucking mayor of the city that I live in. I've called and nobody seems to be receptive even though more and more evidence, there's an avalanche, there's a tsunami of fucking evidence that beyond a shadow of a doubt proves that this has been a hoax. And I've been saying this since late January, that coronavirus was a fucking hoax. It wasn't real. The shit we were seeing in China was all contrived propaganda. People were falling dead in the street. In hospitals looking like their heads were going to explode. And none of that ever happened here. I service the hospitals for my job. I go to the hospital twice a week to one, to the biggest hospital in Austin, Texas, in the capital of fucking Texas. I go there and there's no one in there. My girlfriend went to get uh, an x-ray on her shoulder and... She was in and out in 30 minutes. In and out of the ER in 30 minutes during the middle of a fucking pandemic. In Austin, Texas, a city of a million people, the number one hospital in downtown Austin is in and out in 30 minutes because there's no one fucking there. When's the last time you went to an ER and got an x-ray and was in and out in 30 minutes? That's bullshit. Not even, even before all of this lunacy. You you go to the ER, you're planning to spend all day there. In and out in 30 minutes. I go to the hospitals all the time. I handle the COVID garbs that they fucking wear in the COVID unit. They put them in red bags. Red plastic bags to show their biohazards. That's bullshit, dude. And those bags, super flimsy. They rip open all the time. I'm constantly touching COVID garbs. Guess what? Never got COVID. And I'll never fucking test either. Because that's bullshit, dude. If you don't think that they're not doing some kind of data collection with that shit, why are they, why are they sticking it all the way into your fucking brain? I digress. I could go on and on. 
I am going to attempt with this podcast, which won't be great audio quality, but the information is information that anybody can find. And this is the age of information. And people are still have their heads buried in the sand. And we... This is readily available information for anybody to find. If you're if you're a researcher and you want to know what the actual truth is, don't watch Fox News, don't watch CNN or MSNBC. They are spewing propaganda. And we'll get into that later too with Operation Mockingbird. That's propaganda. The guy on the TV isn't giving you the inside secrets to what's going on in D.C. If that's what you think, you have been severely misled, my friend. Now, I know the repercussions that could fall out from me making this kind of material. People have been silenced in innumerable ways for putting out less information than I'm planning to put out right now. I'm going to put out provable evidence from Gematria to mainstream news sources from the CDC, WHO, um, DARPA, all of these agencies. I'm going to use their own information, and I'm going to show you all this other information. So I know the risks that are that are at stake here that I'm taking by putting out this information. Regardless, this information needs to get out, and I feel like I was put here to do something like this, to put some kind of information out of this nature. I can't keep my fucking mouth shut. I just can't. It's not my nature. So, goddamn the risks that are going to come with putting something out of this caliber. I'm going to fucking do it anyway. And I don't think that I'm some hero or some shit like that, but someone's got to fucking do it. I, like, I was looking all over for resources, and I was like, hmm, maybe someone's put together, like, a, a podcast, you know, a compilation or an article or something like that where it just shows, bang, 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 uh, you know, here's this article, here's this podcast, here's this, here's that, and then I, w- I would be able to pick and choose from that to add to mine. I, I really couldn't find anything like that on the internet. BitChute, YouTube. Uh, searching DuckDuckGo, all of these resources, I couldn't find something like that. So, I put it all together myself. And this will be, hopefully, a reference point for researchers in the future. Now, a lot of people who are deep in the conspiracy community, or the truther community, whatever you want to call it, a lot of this information isn't going to be new. This is stuff we already know. But some of the stuff with Gematria and stuff like that, that's going to be new for a lot of people. And I know it's going to be hard to understand, but if you work with me here, I'll explain everything to the best of my ability. And um, that's just going to be one facet. The Gematria, because I know a lot of people don't fuck with it and it's hard to understand and it's esoteric and yada, yada, yada. 
I get that. So it's going to be a smaller part of this podcast, but a part nonetheless, because I do think it's important. Um, but yes. So without further ado, let's get into it. I expect this podcast to be two to three hours. There's a lot of information, a lot of video clips, a lot of things that need to be said and shown and listened to. And so without further ado, let's go forward. So I have bullet points or topics that I want to discuss and then bullet points underneath them. So let's go over the first topic. The coronavirus is bullshit. There is no coronavirus. And I know that's shocking. And that's a lot to handle for a lot of people. What do you mean? I'm a nurse. I'm a doctor. Yada, yada, yada. No. No coronavirus. In fact, the spread of viruses is impossible. Whoa, another shocking statement. Work with me here. If you listen to all of these doctors, they will, without a shadow of a doubt, prove to you that the spread of viruses and such is impossible. So let's go over the first point. 50 to 80% false positive rate. What? Now, where am I getting that number? 50%? Huh. Well, let's see here. Let's go to CNN.com. Oh, oh, this isn't a conspiracy site. No, this is CNN.com, and it says antibody tests for COVID-19 wrong up to half the time, CDC says. Whoa, I'm not making that up. I didn't go to a conspiracy site unless CNN stands for Conspiracy News Network because this is CNN, everybody, and let's see what they have to say. Antibody tests used to determine if people have been infected in the past with COVID-19 might be wrong up to half the time. The U.S. Centers for... Disease Control and Prevention said in new guidance posted on its website, antibody tests, often called serologic tests, look for evidence of immune response to infection. Antibodies, this is a quote, antibodies in some persons can be detected within the first week of illness onset, the CDC says. They are not accurate enough to use to make important policy decisions, the CDC says. They go on to say that, oh, well, you know, this kind of information, uh, here it is, false positive, false confidence. A A false positive will lead someone to believe they have been infected when in fact they have not been. There's little evidence now about whether having been infected gives people immunity to later infection. So they're saying, you know, all this newfound information of at least half According to the CDC, antibody tests for COVID-19 wrong up to half the time, the CDC says. CNN. This is a CNN article. I'll put links. Every fucking article and everything that I have to discuss, I will link in the description. I will link it. 
wherever I can so you can go and read these articles for yourself because I'm not making this up. I'm reading it straight from CNN. So, you know, false positive, false confidence, you know, people are, oh, this, you know, this is kind of dangerous information because people might, uh, you know, be wary of their positive test results and shit like that. You know, that, that's the way these sick fucks uh, think. You know, and so here it is from CNN Health. They just throw it in your face. But I also said 80%. Where did I get 80%? Now, here we go to PubMed.gov, okay? Another, I'm not making this up. I'll put the link below. PubMed.gov. Now, this is a withdrawn article from early on, and I think this was in... January or something like that. Now, this PubMed thing was withdrawn. And they withdrew it saying, oh, uh, COVID-19 is an emerging, rapidly evolving situation. So this is outdated information. Well, that sounds like total bullshit to me because they did the fucking study in China and these were the results. When the infection rate of the close contacts and the sensitivity and specificity of reported results were taken as the point estimates, the positive predictive value of the active screening was only 19.67. In contrast, the false positive rate of positive results was 80.33%, 80% false positive rate that they got from this from this study in China back in January or February. So, and this is this is pubmed.gov. And now it's but it's outdated information. Why? Because it doesn't fit the the narrative that they want to create that they've been creating that this is some horrible pandemic that it's going to kill everybody so cdc says at least 50 percent and then we have pubmed studies saying it's 80 percent so we have this 50 to 80 percent false positive uh this false positive most of the cases are false positives. We have at least 50 to 80% false positives. That means that the number of deaths, it could be as high as 80%. Oh, well, actually, it could be higher, but we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Could be 94%. Um, also, the PCR test is fatally flawed. The test that is being used to determine covid um, positives. It's fatally flawed. Guy who invented it said it shouldn't be used to determine if someone's been infected with a disease. Oh, and don't worry, I've got the article on this too. Here it is. What is PCR? In the early 1990s, PCR came into popular use and Carrie Mullis was awarded the Nobel Prize for it in 1993. PCR, simply put, is a thermal cycling method used to make up billions of copies of specific DNA sample, making it large enough to study. 
PCR is an indispensable technique with a broad variety of applications, including biomedical research and criminal forensics. According to Mullis himself, PCR cannot be totally and should never be used as a tool in the diagnosis of infectious diseases. This is the main reason why Mullis disagreed with the scientists who are behind the HIV AIDS hypothesis. He defied the mainstream notion that the disease causing mechanisms of HIV are simply too mysterious to comprehend. According to him, the mystery of the of that damn virus has been generated by the two billion dollar a year two billion dollar a year they spend on it. You can take any other virus and you spend two billion and you can make up some great mysteries about it too. He also added that human beings are full of retrovirus. We don't know if it's hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands. We've only recently started to look for them but they've never killed anybody before. People have always survived retroviruses. So, Carrie Mullis, the Nobel Prize winning scientist that made the PCR test, said that it should never be used as a tool in the diagnosis of infectious diseases, which is exactly what it's being used to do right now for coronavirus. So that makes no fucking sense at all. Remember I just said 94%? Well, where did I get that number? 94% of, now this is the CDC again. The CDC comes out and says 94% of COVID deaths have had at least 2.6. Let's just round it up to three because that... 2.6, let's just round it up to three. At least three other comorbidities. 94% of COVID deaths had three other comorbidities. So here we go. This is NewYorkDailyNews.com. CDC says 94% of COVID-19 fatalities were people with underlying medical conditions. And then I was reading an article last week when this information came out saying that, you know, some of these people had cancer and (laughs) severe traumas, like uh, blunt force traumas, being hit by cars and shit like that. And they had tested positive for COVID the, the week prior before being hit by a car. And then they were counted as a COVID death and all of this bullshit. Most of the people who have died of coronavirus in the United States had underlying health conditions alongside COVID-19. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has found just 6% of those who died between the weeks ending February 1st and August 22nd had COVID-19 listed as the sole cause on their death certificate. While 94% of the fatalities had other medical conditions that contributed the CDC said in a report released last week. 6% of those who died between the weeks ending February 1st to August 22nd had COVID-19 listed as the sole cause. 6%! 
And we've, we've already went over, like, how do we even know it's 6%? Because of the PCR test is total bullshit. And it all goes, and that's what they're using. And you're seeing all of these, oh, 569 cases uh, in New York uh, up, you know, drastically from last week. Uh, 652 cases in Arizona or like whatever the fuck like all of these cases and the PCR test is total bullshit and then we have the CDC coming out and saying yeah 94% you know they're pulling pulling their neck it's like oh yeah uh, 94% you know had at least three other comorbidities it's like what the hell are we talking about here so and so after that it was just like you know people were making memes it's like oh COVID's over Okay, so the CDC just said that COVID's over, which is basically what they said. And then you have all these people coming out saying, no, 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 no. actually, uh, that doesn't mean that 94% didn't die from COVID. Like, COVID pushed them over the edge. I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> like, these people want COVID to be so much worse than it actually is. Like, let's just take that there is a real virus and you can get infected with it, it is so much less worse than how bad they want it to be. They want it to be so much worse. They want so many people to die to, because, just to fit their narrative. And other people do too. Normal people sitting at home that have been wearing the mask the entire time and been sheltering in place, they want it to be as bad as the guy on the TV tells them that it is. Because if it's not as bad, they've been completely... And utterly fooled. And they can't handle that. They cannot handle that they've been completely involved in a PSYOP. They were taken a fool by the government, by the health officials, by the talking heads on TV. So they need this thing to be as bad as the guy on the TV says it is. Or else they'll realize that they've been completely played. Moving on. What happened to two weeks to flatten the curve? Now people are being dragged out of their houses in Australia and in the UK for incitement, for daring to protest the lockdowns, for having the goal to say, hey, this is bullshit. I want to go outside and live my life and I don't want to wear a mask every time I go to the fucking grocery store. People are being arrested a pregnant mother in Australia was just arrested for incitement, for posting a fucking meme to Facebook saying, hey, let's go protest. Like, this is bullshit. And she was arrested for incitement. What happened to two weeks to flatten the curve? Now people are being arrested for saying, I don't want to wear a mask. Hey, guys, let's not wear a mask. What are they going to do? They'll arrest you for incitement. That's what they'll do. And if you don't think that's not coming here to the U.S., you're sadly mistaken. Now, let's play the first video. Who is Dr. Tedros blah, blah, blah? The guy, the president of the World Health Organization. Who is he? And what kind of piece of shit is he? Let's see also has somewhat of a political background. Okay. Gibraltar should be put on trial for crimes against humanity. 
This might seem like Gibraces. Welcome to another video. Tedros Adhanom Gibraces should be put on trial for crimes against humanity. This might seem like a hyperbolic statement, but I'm going to lay out the evidence for my case so you can make up your own mind about the director of the World Health Organization. Tedros, as well as being the first World Health Organization director without a medical degree, also has somewhat of a political background. On his online biography, you can see that he was the Ethiopian health minister from 2002 to 2012. And it somehow neglects to mention his other role as the Ethiopian foreign minister from 2012 to 2017, before his WHO appointment. Now, I wonder why they would have left that out. Because aside from his medical credentials, Tedros also happens to be a member of the Tigray People's Liberation Front, which is an organization about as peaceful as the name suggests. It was founded as a communist revolutionary party that came to power in 1991 and overthrew the Mengistu dictatorship, forming a coalition with two other ethnic parties. Over time, the TPLF, Tigray People's Liberation Front, began to exert more and more influence over the other two parties. In Ethiopia, most military generals and key leaders of the government are all Tigray, including the president who ruled Ethiopia for 21 years until his death. The Tigray represent only 6% of the population of Ethiopia. One of the major ethnic groups are the Amara, who mostly made up the government during the Mengistu dictatorship. Favourable treatment of the Amara under Mengistu didn't win them many friends, so much so that the TPLF 1968 manifesto declared the Amara people to be their eternal enemy. And Tedros himself hails from the Tigray region and was a senior member of the party when it came to power. Just how senior was he? Well, this Ethiopian newspaper lists him as the third most important member of the Politburo, which gives the impression he was slightly more important than just a medical administrator. The TPLF was listed as a terrorist organization by the US government in the 90s, and it's still listed as a terrorist organization in the Global Terror Database, because it has this unfortunate habit of carrying out armed assaults in rural areas. The Amara people under the new government have reported systematic discrimination and human rights abuses. Human Rights Watch in 2010 wrote about how aid in the form of food and fertilizer was being withheld from Amara villages if they had associations with the opposition party. Other forms of aid denial involved refusing emergency health care to children, which was carried out by the same ministry at the time led by Tedros Adhanom, current director of the WHO. The Amara People's Union, an activist group based in Washington, issued many other accusations of human rights abuses against the TPLF, including noting that during this time, birth rates in the Amara region was lower than every other region, and that around 2 million Amara simply disappeared from the population census, which was admitted in Parliament in this video. But not content with denying aid to political dissidents, Tedros also spent a lot of his time as health minister covering up epidemics in Ethiopia. There was a cholera outbreak that spread through the region in 2007, which affected thousands of people in neighboring countries in East Africa. But when it spread to Ethiopia, the Ministry of Health tactic was to rename the disease AWD, acute watery diarrhea instead, meaning that on paper, all the neighboring countries had cholera epidemics, but Ethiopia didn't. International organizations were pressured not to call it cholera, even though the UN tested it themselves and found cholera and were told not to reveal the real number of infected. Another stunning victory for the health minister. 
also the deadly famine that struck Ethiopia in the 1980s, which it's still associated with, is not entirely a thing of the past. The WHO itself, in its reports, after pages and pages of gushing reviews on how great Ethiopia's health sector is, admitted in 2016 that at least 8.6 million people in rural Ethiopia still needed food aid to survive, and said that the situation had barely improved for four years. So that after the end of Tedros's illustrious term as health minister, he could boast a mere 8% of the population that would starve to death without foreign aid. And so, after these shining accomplishments in health, Tedros moved on to bigger and better things. In 2012, he became Minister of Foreign Affairs, and under him, the government saw a crackdown on journalists and dissidents, including an attempt to extradite Ethiopians that had fled to Yemen in exile to avoid political imprisonment. Yemen and Ethiopia entered negotiations to track down and extradite the Ethiopians in Yemen, and the negotiations were led by Tedros himself. There's even a picture of him here negotiating with the Yemeni foreign minister. One such case was a British citizen called Andy Tsege, he was arrested in Yemen and he was given a death sentence twice by the Ethiopian government. This led to the involvement of the British government who threatened Ethiopia with denial of aid unless he be granted asylum. Tedros responded to the UK government in person saying that Sege was, quote, being treated very well. He even has a laptop. Have you ever heard of a political prisoner with a laptop? End quote. Andy, when he came back to the UK, told a somewhat different story of being tortured for days on end alongside dozens of other prisoners who reported rape and beating and denial of medical treatment. And one of the reasons, perhaps, that Tedros's qualifications as foreign minister is not included on his online CV might be because of the mass protests that engulfed the country in 2016. The Ethiopian government, a few years before, unveiled a plan to seize a thousand square miles of land, mostly in the Aromia region, and this involved the forced relocation of 15,000 people which the government said was good because where they lived they lacked infrastructure. But somehow these ungrateful citizens didn't really appreciate the massive favour that the government was doing for them, and mass protests broke out during a cultural celebration in 2016. The police responded at first with tear gas and later with mass shootings. The violence and resulting stampede killed an estimated 500 people according to Human Rights Watch. The Foreign Affairs Ministry, led by Tedros, issued a state of emergency and arrested an estimated 70,000 people, and forced many opposition journalists into exile. Tedros himself got into a public spat with Human Rights Watch after their presentation. First he denied that the numbers were as high as they were, and then claimed that the police at the event were unarmed and that no one died from shooting. I'm no expert myself, so I assume that, in this picture, Ethiopia must have found a way to develop entirely non-lethal assault rifle-shaped devices. Impressive stuff. And so, this is the noble figure that ascended to the role of director of the WHO in 2017. And not being one to miss a chance to defend murderers, Tedros had previously argued against the international trials of Uhuru Kenyatta and his minister, under whose government 1,300 people had been killed after rigged elections. And so, not surprisingly, one of the first things that Tedros did after he took the job was to nominate Robert Mugabe, a goodwill ambassador to WHO. Robert Mugabe, who in the 1980s had ordered the killings of 20,000 people in Zimbabwe. Tedros also, during the coronavirus outbreak, has never missed an opportunity to praise the good governance of China. And given the human rights record of China, it's no wonder he likes them so much. China has funded billions of investment in Ethiopia, building 70% of their roads, 
financing mass media centers for propaganda um, and actually financing the construction of the African Union in Ethiopia, which was found to have contained hidden surveillance by the Chinese government. And actually, Tedros seems to see China as a model of development for his own country. Ethiopia also has forced relocations, social credit style scorecards for citizens, mass media propaganda. Ethiopia's government resembles a kind of low-rent version of China's authoritarian model, complete with a one-party state and focus on profit above human rights at all costs. Things in Ethiopia do seem to have improved recently, but until very recently, it remained one of the world's worst human rights violators. Receiving a score of 19 out of 100 on the Human Freedom Index for 2018, and the government that took over in 1991 has stayed in power ever since. It asks the question, how did a man like Tedros become director of the WHO? Well, the World Health Organization has been riddled with all kinds of scandals for a while now. In the 1990s, the WHO saw almost no growth in funding for a long time. And so according to health researcher Sonia Shah, what happened then was that the World Health Organization turned to corporate funding to finance a lot of its health projects. And by 2008, corporate funding made up 80% of the organization's budget. Now, there's nothing wrong with this principle. If corporations want to fund health projects, good for them. But this created a serious conflict of interest on many issues. Led to cases like drug companies working with WHO lobbying to weaken patent laws for new drugs in India because it would lose them money and blocking laws in South Africa that would have led to making HIV treatment more accessible. And this misallocation of funds and corruption of the WHO became so bad that in 2016, it was found that the World Health Organization had spent $200 million a year for the past four years on travel expenses, not even including those covered by the host country, which was more than their budget for HIV treatment. Another absolutely damning report issued by the Associated Press last year found that WHO employees who were working to relieve the cholera epidemic in Yemen had actually siphoned off many of the funds for themselves and embezzled it. Some of these workers, after this information came to light, were not even removed from their jobs. Tedros himself was promoted by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who financed many large-scale health projects in Ethiopia previously that Tedros had helped facilitate. And so they apparently wanted to promote similar projects on a global scale and because they'd worked with Tedros in the past, it made sense for them to promote him at the WHO. And the appointment of someone as deeply unqualified as Tedros, to put it mildly, I think owes a lot to the somewhat labyrinthine structure of the way director generals of the organization are appointed. So the director of the WHO is selected by the executive board, who are in turn appointed by a rotating minority of the World Health Assembly who are made up of health ministers appointed by world governments. And so the World Health Organization has a similar problem to many other global institutions. By the time you get to the appointment of the director, he is an appointee of an appointee of an appointee of someone who may have been elected legitimately, probably not considering most governments at the World Health Assembly. And so by the time you get to him, the democratic mandate has been stretched so thinly as to be almost meaningless which is, of course, the same problem that a lot of these globalist institutions have. The mainstream media, of course, trying to portray Tedros as a saintly figure who goes around trying to cure the world of deadly diseases. A Twitter campaign slogan ran saying, it's time for an African to lead the WHO. Yeah, it just makes you wish they could have picked one 
that wasn't part of a regime that had spent the last few years killing and relocating more Africans than any other in the world. Some outlets have pointed out that the director of the WHO actually doesn't have a whole lot of power when it comes to policy, but I think this misses the point that actually the organization is seen as an authority on matters of health, and it advises world governments on how to behave in global pandemics. And so the mismanagement of the coronavirus situation has been totally exacerbated by the WHO and people like Tedros. He not only made it worse by praising the CCP's handling of the crisis at every opportunity, even as doctors were arrested and people were welded inside their homes, despite the mountains of evidence of the faking of the numbers. He also gave completely contradictory advice, first of all saying that countries should not enact travel restrictions to China, that it would be discriminatory, then turning around and chiding them for not doing enough to prepare. Uh, the virus was only named a pandemic a few days ago at the time of making this video, after infecting 140 countries, which is 70 more than it took for the swine flu to be declared a pandemic. And so part of the reasons countries didn't take the crisis as seriously as they should have is because of the inaction of WHO and Tedros. I'm not here to say that the World Health Organization has never done anything good in its history, but if there was ever an example of the failure of a global institution, the WHO is it. And the sheer scale of its mismanagement means that it should be radically reformed and defunded or completely disbanded. Instead, they're currently advising tech companies like YouTube on how to censor information about the coronavirus. So are you listening, YouTube? This is the kind of thing you're subjugating yourself to. In a sane world, instead of leading a global organization, Tedros and his cronies will be put on trial at the International Criminal Court, tried for his crimes, and if found guilty, spend the rest of his life in prison. So that is the leader of the World Health Organization, a fucking puppet for China, and I don't get I normally don't get into all of the fear-mongering about China. However, he is a Chinese puppet. I mean, he suckles at the Chinese teat at every opportunity, as evidenced by that video. And, you know, he covered up outbreaks of cholera in Ethiopia when he was the health minister there and siphoned funds from various projects, covered multiple things up, did a whole lot of covering up and not a whole lot of helping, and covered up a mass shooting in Ethiopia that the government carried out against its own civilians. And that was upwards of 500 people were murdered by their government, and he covered it up. And when he was tried and convicted in Ethiopia, the UK comes right in and saves his ass. This is the leader of the World Health Organization. And what else did we learn about the World Health Organization from that video? They've been corrupt for a long time now. This isn't new. They've been losing funding for a while. Which, you know, what? A, how perfect to get more funding, just create a fake pandemic. But also, uh, you know, Trump was like, oh, I'm going to defund the WHO. So then all the Republicans are like, yeah! And then he turns around and gives all of that money to the Bill Gates-funded uh, Gavi. 
So, <laughs> and Bill Gates is best friends with uh, Mr. Dr. Tedros Ed Hanen, or however you say his bullshit name. So, you know, Trump's, you know, a player in all of this too. You know, it's a sleight of hand. Say you're defunding the WHO and then give all of that money to the Bill Gates-funded Gavi organization, which is just as bad, if not worse, as the World Health Organization. And Bill Gates is a bigwig over at the WHO. And, you know, they kind of describe him as, like, the leader of it, the, the un the unelected leader of the WHO, or he can really throw his weight around at the WHO is what I'm getting at. So there, the WHO and Dr. Tedros are horrible pieces of shit, and they are one of the leading figures um, mandating and dictating policy when it comes to coronavirus. So that's very encouraging. Um, now let's get into some germ theory talk. I've already said germ theory is bullshit. You cannot contract a virus or um, an illness from someone else unless it is injected into you. What's that sound like? I know we're all thinking the same thing. Injected into you? Yeah. So... Let's get into germ theory. We're going to start with this amazing, amazing video by this channel called Mikey Landings. It's called Should You Take the COVID-19 Test? I think this is one of the best videos I've seen on this subject. Everything is toxic. The soil, the water, the air, our oh. food, even our medicines are toxic. Even stress can be toxic. God now imagine that. All right, you get, like I said, you guys are gonna have to work with me here. Not a tech genius. All right, here we go. Do you have an open mind? Can you suspend judgment for a moment? Most people can't. But what if your job depends on it? What if the freedom to hug people depends on it? What if your life depends on it? Here's a new theory. First, consider that we live in a world where everything is toxic. The soil, the water, the air, our food, even our medicines are toxic. Even stress can be toxic. Now imagine that all these toxins are poisonous to us on a cellular level. Imagine that our cells have a defense and respond to the situation. Poisoned genetic material, either RNA or DNA, is packaged up and sent out of the cell in tiny balls of protein. Let's call these balls of genetic material exosomes. Let's imagine that exosomes can act as messages to alert other cells of a particular poison, and so all throughout the body, more and more cells package up the poisoned material and release it. Also, at certain times of the year due to temperature cycles, humans tend to purge a high number of these poisoned genetic materials out of the body resulting in symptoms of illness. These exosomes neither cause illness nor are they infectious, though they do appear to spread throughout the body. Now, that's exosome theory. 
let's move on to the established theory of viruses. Viruses are generally regarded as not alive. They have no cellular structure and do not reproduce on their own. Though we do have trillions of them inside our bodies. They are tiny bits of genetic material, either RNA or DNA, packaged in tiny protein balls that appear to exit and enter cells. Sound familiar? We believe that some of these entities are infectious and pathogenic, transmitting amongst humans and reproducing inside our bodies, causing illness and death. So let's look at the situation for this coronavirus and compare what is happening to these two theories. Let's first consider the origin story of the coronavirus. A group of people had a respiratory illness unresolved by antibiotics, so medical officials began looking, of course, for a virus. What they eventually found under the electron microscope were small protein balls being excreted by the cell. Okay, first comparison. This would make sense in both exosome theory and virus theory. Then they searched for and found an RNA fragment that they had not seen before in some of these patients. This would make sense in both exosome theory and virus theory. Now they did not prove that they could infect somebody or an animal with a purified form of this so-called virus. They simply assumed that this RNA fragment was the cause of the illness they saw in some patients, and they assumed it was contagious. So do you know how the tests work? It's not a binary test, like a pregnancy test. It's called a PCR test, and it involves amplifying genetic material by doubling it in dozens of cycles until you have billions or trillions of the original molecules and then using those results to determine if you have enough of the identified RNA fragment to be considered positive. Here's the thing, at a certain point of amplification, every single person would test positive. They use an arbitrary cutoff point where they stop doubling the material. That cutoff point is different amongst different tests for COVID-19. In fact, there were 10 different cutoff points amongst 33 tests approved by the FDA. Seems a little strange, right? You might find it interesting that the Nobel Prize winning inventor of the test did not believe it should be used to diagnose infectious illness. And perhaps you've heard about some of the problems with the test, such as the high rate of false positives. But in any case, let's say that after 37 times of doubling a specific genetic material they found in your body, they determine that you have enough of the RNA they are looking for to be considered positive. This could make sense in both exosome theory and virus theory. But clearly there are clusters of people getting ill. Look at New York City. It must be a virus. However, if you are being poisoned by something in your environment, it's likely people near you are too. And if we commonly purge these poisons during specific times of the year, Many people may have symptoms of illness all at once. This fits either theory. Now, here's where things get interesting. Let's go to the Diamond Princess cruise ship situation. Did you know that people who were bunked together for days had conflicting positive and negative tests? 
How could one person have this highly infectious illness but not transmit it to somebody bunking with them for days? This would make sense in exosome theory, where the balls of RNA are not contagious, but it would not make sense for virus theory, where the balls of RNA are supposed to be highly infectious. Let's take a look at the first case of transmission in Illinois. A woman traveled to Wuhan, came back, and both she and her chronically ill husband ended up testing positive. Medical authorities then tracked over 300 people who had had close contact with them to see who acquired the virus. And guess what? Zero positives. This again would make sense in exosome theory, since exosomes are not contagious. But it would not make sense for virus theory where this is supposed to be an infectious virus. In fact, do you know that there are many documented cases all around the world of patients testing positive for this RNA fragment with no relevant travel history and no known possible contact with somebody who was infected? These were people in the middle of nowhere, early on in this whole crisis, who suddenly were testing positive. This would make sense, again, in exosome theory, where the RNA is being produced as an immune response within our cells. But it would not make sense for virus theory, where you are supposed to have had contact with somebody with the virus. What about the high levels of people testing positive who don't get sick? In fact, 80% of people testing positive are either asymptomatic or have slight cold symptoms. Why? This would make sense in exosome theory, since the RNA fragments are not the cause of the illness. But it would not make sense for virus theory where this virus is supposed to cause the illness. Things get even stranger. Did you know that some people go from testing positive, to testing negative, to testing positive again in a matter of days? That would make sense for exosome theory, where perhaps the cells are simply releasing more or less of these exosomes depending on certain conditions. But it doesn't make sense in virus theory, where you are supposedly infected until you have rid yourself of the virus. So which of these theories seems more likely to you? What if you heard that there are virologists who believe that viruses are actually exosomes? What if I told you that doctors and other scientific experts also believe this? Ultimately, regardless of which theory you believe in at this point, the established infectious virus theory or the emerging theory of exosomes, how confident are you in the PCR test? Are you really interested in having your life hinge on the results you get from this potentially meaningless test? Do you want your loved ones tested? Do you want to be tested? Or shall we perhaps refuse the test? Pretty damn compelling. How are people testing positive, being quarantined in the same room with another person, and that person doesn't test positive? This highly infectious disease? That makes no sense. And then again, testing positive one day, testing negative the next, and then testing positive on the third day? It's back and forth with these tests. 
Again, the PCR test is bullshit. The guy who made it made it for a different purpose, and he said it shouldn't be used to determine positive or negative results saying that you're infected with a certain disease. The guy who made it said that. So why is it being used? It doesn't make any sense. Exosome theory, to me, seems way more plausible than this germ theory bullshit that we've been force-fed by the Rockefeller uh, school system that we've all been brought up in. And if you don't know what I'm referring to, you should watch How Big Oil Conquered the World um, by James Corbett on YouTube. It is a fascinating documentary and shows how David Rockefeller and Standard Oil dominated American industry and led to things like the Rockefeller Foundation, which is responsible for our, our modern day school system and it and medical system. So we're forced that all of this bullshit, mainly responsible by one oil tycoon family. So something to think about. Let's see. Next, I've got uh, Dr. Thomas Cowan. Let's see what he's got to say. Dr. Thomas Cowan. I have 10 minutes. I wasn't sure I was going to get to this stage, but I can't help but say something about this whole coronavirus thing, if you want me to. So, again, when you know Steiner, you have the answers to the test, but you have to then figure out the details. In 1918, after the... um, uh, huge biggest pandemic the spanish flu pandemic of 1918 steiner was asked what was this all about and he said well viruses are simply excretions of a toxic cell viruses are pieces of dna or rna with a few other proteins they butt out from the cell they happen when the cell is poisoned They are not the cause of anything. And the first way I would encourage you to think about this is if you are a famous dolphin doctor, right, and you have been studying dolphins in the Arctic Circle for hundreds of years, or at least a long time, and the dolphins were fine, and then they call you up, Fred, all the dolphins, or a lot of the dolphins are dying in the Arctic Circle, can you come and investigate, right? And you have one question to ask. So show of hands, how many of you would say, I want to investigate a dolphin to see the genetic makeup of that dolphin? Nobody, because that's stupid. How many of you would say, I want to see if this dolphin and that dolphin has a virus because it might be contagious and that's why all these dolphins are getting sick? That fellow. How many of you would say, Excuse my French here. Somebody put some shit in the water here. Like Exxon Valdez. Anybody? Everybody. Because that's what happened. And the cells get poisoned. They 
try to purify themselves by excreting debris, which we call viruses. If you, if you go to the current theory of viruses called exosomes and the latest head of the NIH giving a talk on the complexity of viruses, you will see this is perfectly in line with the current thinking on what a virus really is. I had a dramatic example of this when I was growing up. Out, right outside our house, there was a wetlands. And they were full of frogs, and the frogs kept me up at night, so I taped the windows. And they were, in the spring, it was, they made a big racket. And then over time, the frogs were all gone. How many thinks the virus, the frogs had a genetic disease? How many thinks the, vi the frogs had a virus? How many thinks somebody put DDT into the water? That's what happened. Diseases are poisoning. It's one of the reasons why vaccines... So, let me skip that for a minute. So what happened in 1918? There was a huge... In every, every pandemic in the last 150 years, there was a, a quantum leap in the electrification of the Earth. In 1918, late, uh, late fall of 1917, there was... The, introduction of radio waves around the world. Whenever you expose any biological system to a new electromagnetic field, you poison it, you kill some, and the rest go into a kind of suspended animation so that, interestingly, they live a little bit longer and sicker. And then starts in World War II with the next pandemic with the introduction of radar equipment all over the earth, blanketing the entire earth in radar fields. First time humans have ever been exposed to that. In 1968, there was the Hong Kong flu, and it was the first time the earth has a protective layer in the Van Allen belt, which essentially integrates the cosmic uh, fields from the sun and the earth, from the moon and Jupiter, etc integrates that and essentially distributes that to the living beings of the Earth. And we put satellites emitting radioactive frequencies in the Van Allen belt. Within six months, we had a new viral pandemic. Why viral? Because the people are poisoned, they excrete toxins, they look like viruses. People think it's, an, it's a flu epidemic. In the 1918, the uh, epidemic, the Boston Health Department decided to investigate the contagiousness of this, so they, believe it or not, took hundreds of people with the flu, and they sucked the snot out of their nose and injected it into the healthy people who didn't have the flu, and not one time could they make the next person sick. They did this over and over again, and they were not able to demonstrate contagion. They even did it with horses who apparently got the Spanish flu, and they put bags over their head, and the horses sneezed in the bag, and they put the bag over the next horse, and not one horse got sick. You can read about this in a book called The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg, who chronicles all the steps in the electrification of the earth and how within six months there was a new flu pandemic all over the world. And when you invest, when you hear the normal explanations, how did it go from Kansas to South Africa in two weeks so the entire world got the symptoms at the same time in spite of the fact that the mode of transportation was 
horseback and boats, and there's no explanation for it. They just say, we don't know how that happened. But when you think about it, with these radio waves and other frequencies that some of you have in your pocket and on your wrist, you can send a signal to Japan and it arrives instantaneously. So any of you who don't believe there is an electromagnetic field that communicates globally within seconds just is not paying attention to this. And I will only finish by pointing out that there has been a dramatic and quantum leap in the last six months with the electrification of the Earth. And I'm sure a lot of you know what that is. It's called 5G, where they now have 20,000 radiation-emitting satellites, just like the radiation-emitting thing in your pocket and on your wrist and that you use all the time. That is not compatible with health. I'm sorry to say it. It's not compatible with health. That is a water destructuring device. And for any of you who say, yeah, well, well, we're not electrical beings, we're just physical matter, then don't bother doing an EKG or an EEG or a nerve conduction test because we are electrical beings and the chemicals are only the byproduct of those electrical impulses. And I'll finish with anybody want to make one guess as to where the first completely blanketed 5G city in the world was. Exactly. So when you start thinking about this, we are in an existential crisis here, folks, the likes of which humankind has never seen. And I don't want to go all Old Testament prophet on you, uh, but this is something that is unprecedented. The, the putting of 100,000 satellites in the very blanket of the earth. And by the way, as I was going to say earlier, this actually has something to do with the vaccine question. And this got brought home to me because about a year ago or so, I had a patient who came in who was totally fine, a surfer and all, and he broke his, he works as an electrician putting in Wi-Fi systems for very wealthy people. Electricians have a very high mortality rate, but he was fine. And then he breaks his arm and he gets a metal plate put in his arm. Three months later, he couldn't get out of bed and was total, you know, heart irregularities, just total collapse. The susceptibility has to do with how much metal you have in your body, as well as the quality of the water in your cells. So if you start injecting aluminum in people, they become receptors for absorbing increased electromagnetic fields, and that is a perfect storm for the kind of deterioration of the species, which is what we're now experiencing. And I'm just going to finish with one more thing, which I like to, is a quote from Rudolf Steiner, and by the way, this was around 1917, so it was a different time. In times when there were no electrical currents, when the air was not swarming with electrical influ influences, we're talking 1917, it was easier to be human. For this reason, in order to be human at all today, it is necessary to expend much stronger spiritual capacities than was necessary a century ago. 
So I'll just leave you with whatever you can do to increase your spiritual capacities because it's really damn hard to be a human being these days. So thanks for listening. So what do we glean from that? Well, the, again, viruses are exosomes. They are being expelled by our cells to detoxify our cells. So when you do a viral test and you see all these viruses all over, it's because the cells in your body are expelling all of these toxins, which are exosomes, but you know they've been coined as viruses. So it looks like, oh my God, the virus is all over the body, blah, 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 positive. You know, that's it's not the case. It's your cells detoxifying. And also, explain if if virus theory is, is germ theory is correct, how on earth was that Boston Medical Department able to take hundreds of people, suck the snot out of their nose, inject it into healthy people, and the healthy people never got the Spanish flu, which killed over 100 million people? The most, the deadliest pandemic of all time that we know of, at least. Explain that one. And then also the electrification of the earth. It's not healthy. Your cell phone is not healthy. It is radiating you. That is real. Now, a lot of people have taken the 5G thing and ran with it, and they say how horrible it is, and it, it is bad for you. But it's not going to kill you. It's not going to make you drop dead um, in the matter of a couple of months. It's a cumulative effect. Every time you go to the airport and you step through the little fucking thing that blasts you with radiation, and then every time you, you know, you're talking on the phone, you got your phone by you when you sleep, you know, it's a cumulative effect. You know, it gives you small doses of radiation constantly, and then after a period of years, you develop cancers and stuff like that, where it manifests into this huge problem. So that's all real. And that was another doctor, Dr. Thomas Cowan, um, explaining that. And now we have um, Dr. Andrew Kaufman. And I think he's the, oh, I also have David Crow. And David Crow is a brilliant man. So um, we'll go Dr. Andrew Kaufman, and then we'll do David Crow. You have to say for yourself, <laughs> guilty as charged. You know, what, what I've really done is, um, it's not that um, uh, surprising or sophisticated. I've just taken the evidence that uh, has been put forward by the scientific and public health establishment and just looked at that from a scientific perspective. So there are, you know, currently, uh, I believe, uh, four papers uh, that have been published in peer-reviewed journals that you know, claim to have isolated uh, a new virus and uh, say, actually the conclusions of the paper say that it is associated with the disease or potentially associated with the disease or is implicated in a disease. We need more clinical data and samples to confirm if this virus is indeed the etiology agent for this epidemic. And 
etiology means cause. So basically they said, we need more studies to prove causation. This only provides evidence of an association. So this is nowhere near causation. This is a preliminary findings that basically suggests that you need to do some more studies and actually apply the rivers criteria if you wanna prove causation. Once again, they did not isolate any virus. Once again, they did not cultivate in host cells. They used viral cells and antibiotics and did not prove filterability. But uh, none of them can conclude that there's a causal relationship uh, because the studies are not designed to be able to draw that conclusion. And in fact, what I found in looking at these studies is they are not really designed to be able to even identify a virus. Um, there are many ways to go about this. Uh, and there are certainly, I've talked about Koch's postulates, where are, which are a simple set of rules uh, by which the germ theory proponents have uh, suggested as a way to prove that a specific germ or microorganism causes a disease. But uh, none of those have been satisfied uh, for any uh, viral or allegedly viral caused disease. And if you look clearly at um, how they design these experiments, they don't follow one of the basic principles of experimental design, which is to separate variables so that you could test them independently uh, against whatever outcome you're looking for. So what they instead do is use impure samples with many variables combined and then you know pick out the data that they want and say that it uh, proves this or that or the other thing. Like for example, they, the only way that they said that this virus that they alleged to isolate is a coronavirus is that they sequenced the RNA and uh, which came from uh, an undetermined source, an impure source. And then they said it was uh, almost 80% identical to another piece of RNA from uh, another coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-1 virus um, associated with the SARS outbreak in 2003. But that sequence was also uh, determined by an impure sample and the source of it is unclear. But having less than 80% sequence identity is really um, not, not very strong correlation because like the sequence identity between humans and chimpanzees is 96%, uh, yet we're very different from chimpanzees, uh, not in the same family at all, although there is some relation, of course, because we're related to all other creatures. But uh, so how can they say that, you know, it's like that virus with such a, a low um, identity uh, between the sequences? And, you know, then they claim to have uh, isolated uh, viral particles and show them under the microscope. But if you once again look at the procedures, they're mixing this with other things, uh, especially foreign uh, mammal cells uh, and antibiotics, which creates exosome particles, which are, look just like viral particles under a microscope. But then they don't account for those viral particles when they show the microscope images. So, you know, what, what exactly are they showing? It's unclear because they have, once again, an impure sample with different types of particles. Uh, and they, they make no account of this. So essentially what I've uh, been able to reason from looking at these experiments is that uh, there's really no proof that they've isolated anything that would be consistent with their definition of a virus. And they certainly haven't uh, come close to showing any uh, causal relationship between any new disease. And if you look more broadly at uh, the data on mortality and such, you'll see that there's really no evidence of a new disease either. So he was just going over some of these papers that have claimed to have isolated the virus, and he's like, this is total bullshit. They haven't isolated anything. He's like, these these uh, statistics that they're using are meaningless, and 
So he was just going over several papers saying, no, no, bullshit, bullshit. Like, they, they haven't even come close to proving anything. So that's Dr. Andrew Kaufman, and this is um, David Crow, who I believe yes, yes. David Crow has a, well, he has a podcast called The Infectious Myth, and he has a, um, I believe he has a book online, and it might be free, um, called The Infectious Myth. And so go ahead and give that uh, a read. Now, what's interesting about David Crow is that he has been beating this drum for a long time. Um, he's not just some new, you know, darling of the conspiracy community um, during this time of a fake pandemic. Um, he... He's been beating this drum for a long time, and he's been involved in this research for a long while. And, um, you know, he would never say anything that he hadn't thoroughly investigated. And throughout all of his years of research and everything, he had concluded that, you know, infectivity is a myth. And viruses and all of that shit, that's a myth. It's all about exosomes and cells detoxifying themselves and stuff like that. He is very, very based in a ton of scholarly research and papers and stuff, which he includes in his book. Um, so he's a very, very interesting guy. And um, you could look up some of his more, because he's kind of, you know, a dry guy. He just gives, because he doesn't, he doesn't speculate. He doesn't, he only says what he has found throughout his years of research he will not speculate so he has a very dry uh talking a uh, way of way of speaking because he's just very facts oriented facts only no speculation so he did a really good interview on the higher side chats with greg carlwood if you want to look up the higher side chats david crow he gave an excellent interview on there and greg carlwood you know he's just a show host you know he likes to mess around he speculates and stuff like that so with him talking to david crow it's a very digestible interview and um something i highly recommend um it's about an hour and a half so you know if you're going on a long drive or you got to commute um somewhere or something like that um definitely give that a listen but here's David Crow. Looking at COVID-19, I think it's really important. Definitions of important diseases are surprisingly loose, perhaps embarrassingly so. So we're, we're looking at an epidemic of COVID-19 that's putting people in hospital, and we're basing it on, I've spoken with um, Loretta Bolgan from uh, Corvelva about COVID-19, and she said that the symptoms that they're seeing in Italy with COVID-19 are completely different. They're mainly gastric symptoms that then go on to neurological symptoms, which is not at all the flu-like symptoms that we're seeing in many other parts of the world. So how do we know what the symptoms of COVID-19 are in order to tell well, people? Right. So let me, let me go back to SARS, because there's an interesting difference and, and parallel between SARS uh, 2003 and the coronavirus. So the definition of SARS was, and I mean, this is why it's, it's kind of embarrassing when you realize how simplistic it is, is 
you have to have a, a respiratory symptom. And as we discussed before the show, one of those was a fever of 38 degrees or more when the standard body temperatures, it goes up to like 37.2 by some people's definitions. You had to have an epidemiological connection with another patient. So that's one of the reasons why so many um, medical staff got diagnosed because of course they were working with SARS patients. And then thirdly, you needed a positive SARS test. And how SARS disappeared was that once they had everybody in hospitals or quarantined, it was not possible to have contact with a previous SARS patient. So they didn't test you for the virus and therefore it went away. So the problem with coronavirus is that the test they were using in 2003 was based on PCR, which I think we'll probably talk about more later. Since then, their confidence in the technology has gotten out of control. This is a very powerful technology, but it's also technology can mislead you very easily. And so now a confirmed case by the World Health Organization definition is simply a positive coronavirus test. No symptoms, no contact with another patient. So what happened in Italy is, is like the first patient in Italy uh, had not traveled, had had no contact with another uh, coronavirus patient. He just out of nowhere tested positive and within 24 hours they had 30 other people and none of them had a connection with their first patient. So then they start saying in Italy, well, anybody who's got symptoms and there are no symptoms of coronavirus, it's like fever and a cough, which could mean anything, yep. you, should, you should get tested. So this 88-year-old man in San Marino, which is w further south, a long way from Lombardy, tests positive. Well, he hasn't traveled. He's probably quite sickly and elderly. And he hasn't been in contact with another patient. And there aren't any coronavirus cases anywhere around that. But they just skipped by the information that maybe this was a false positive test result, and then they diagnosed him. And then as the testing spread throughout Italy, so did the cases. And so it created the illusion that they had this massively infectious, quickly spreading infection, whereas what they actually had was a massive uh, spread of testing with a test that produced an unknown number of false positives. I think the number of false positives is 100%. The Chinese published a paper saying it was only 80%, so we can argue over, over that. But it's treated by doctors as if the rate of false positives was 0%. And that's an absurd position to, to be in. And if you accepted that there were some false positives, it would actually solve some mysteries, some impossible, I've been collecting impossible test results. And I think the most humorous is a, a 68-year-old man in a, a city 500 kilometers from Wuhan, he, he's got some minor symptoms like a tiredness, cough, fever, stuff like that. So he goes to the hospital, they test him, he's positive. They keep him in the hospital, his symptoms resolve, and he tests negative. So now he has to go into quarantine for 14 days. So they put him in quarantine, and three days later they test him, and he's positive again. But he has no symptoms. So they bring him back to the hospital and put him on antiviral drugs. They put him on drugs even though he had no symptoms. Wow. So they keep him in the hospital for a few days, and he tests negative. They're going to be sure this time. He tested negative four times. So they put him back into quarantine, and three days later, he tests positive again. <laughs> so they drag, they drag him back to the hospital, 
put him on more antiviral drugs until he tests negative, and then they send him home. Now, nowhere in the paper from the Chinese medics did it say, possibly this could be a false positive. The, the South Koreans apparently have admitted that they have a large number of coronavirus patients who've tested positive. If they had symptoms, the symptoms resolved, they tested negative, and then a week later, two weeks later, they test positive again. And now they're saying, oh, these are false positives because they got pushed into a situation where they could not explain it any other way. Right, they're cornered. But, right. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to say that an asymptomatic person can be a false positive, there's no reason why a symptomatic person can't be a false positive. There's, there's nothing that says if you have a cough, you can't have a false positive coronavirus test. So we, we have no idea how many false positive test results there are. And everybody sticks their head in the sand and, and says the test is amazing. Maybe because we want there's a certain percentage or a certain segment of the government and the medical community that wants there to be a coronavirus pandemic. Because if there wasn't, and we've locked down and we've destroyed the world's economy over nothing, they're going to have some explaining to do that they don't necessarily want to explain. Everyone seems to have bought into this bill of goods, and it might... Bada bane, bada boom. Like the first patient in Italy uh, had not traveled, had had. Exactly what I said earlier in the podcast, what I led in with. They need this thing to be real. <laughs> or else, if people start waking up and realize that it's all bullshit, the people at the top are going to have to start explaining themselves. Which I believe they already should have to start explaining themselves. I've already, I've, I believe, like, after listening to those experts and doctors and people who have been involved in this research for decades say that, I mean, come on, how that's so compelling. And then CNN runs an article like this A boy from a remote Amazonian tribe has died, raising concerns about COVID 19's impact on indigenous people. Are you fucking kidding me? A remote Amazonian tribe? This is, it goes back to the whole virus versus exosome thing. So yeah, if he tests positive with the bullshit PCR test that we've already, you know, buried, you know, we've already put all the nails into that coffin. I mean, the PCR test, I hope by now you realize, is total bullshit. It's, I mean, it was, it was not designed for what they're using it for. The guy who designed it said that. I don't know how else you could continue believing in the validity of the test. But anyway, this this kid tests positive with the bullshit PCR test. But it shows that he just had a high level of exosomes. And the, we know that Elon Musk has been doing his Starlink bullshit where he sent like, what, 20 or 30,000 satellites that are going to like cover the earth in 5G or whatever the hell he was talking about. I mean, so that could be something that affects people worldwide. He had a high level of exosomes. Who knows? Maybe he got bitten by a snake and his body was like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, there's venom. Like, who who knows what why his exosomes were high? Or maybe he had stepped on, you know, a fucking... Uh, a stick that gave him an infection and he had died from an infection from stepping on a pointy stick or something like that. He got infected from 
being stabbed by something in the fucking woods. I don't know. He lives in the Amazon. So, the caption that I have for this, because I put this on my Instagram, which is conspiratorial conspiring. If you look at this and don't immediately recognize that this is bullshit, then there's no hope for you. How in the fuck did this virus get into the depths of the Amazon? They really do think we're all idiots. Cause that's ex- and that's exactly what you should say when you see an article like this. Total contrived propaganda. And a boy in the Amazon, who, who the hell had COVID-19 and got out to the Amazon and gave it to this tribe? What are we talking about here? Obvious propaganda. That was on CNN. And you know, they always have to remind us that there's a pandemic. Because we'll forget. (laughs) We'll forget that there's this horrible pandemic killing everybody. There's bodies piling up in the street, right? No. we, We don't see the pandemic anywhere. Maybe we know someone who tested positive or... Uh, this, one of my sister's friends, oh yeah, I I had a person, I had a, I had a family member that was intubated. Oh, wow. So they, they tested positive with the bullshit PCR test because their exosomes were high and they were put on a ventilator, which people, (laughs) they did a study in New York, 97.2% of people who were intubated in New York died. We were killing people with ventilators. No one talks about that. We did the Emergency Wartime Production Act, Trump did, to make more ventilators that were killing people at a clip of 97.2%. What the fuck are we talking about here? So congrats, you had a family member that was intubated. You're lucky they didn't die because the ventilators were killing people. And then you... I listened to this one podcast called The Propaganda Report, and Brad Binkley says he has a family member that that is respiratory affected. They're immunocompromised. And I think it's his mom. And, you know, it was talked about because he, he knows he sees regulars at the hospital when he brings his mom. So, you know, there's a talk between them for years now. This has always been a thing. You know, they talked about ventilating his mom. And then, he, you know, he is asking around and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I know people that were ventilated. And like, you know, the old saying, if you go on the ventilator, you don't come off. Like, <laughs> ventilator is like last ditch effort. And we were mass producing them, putting people on them and killing them at a clip of 97.2% in New York. And I think it was like 80% nationwide. What are we talking about here with ventilators? And we always have to be constantly reminded that there's a fucking pandemic. We have to be constantly reminded that there's a pandemic. Because if we just turned off the news and lived our normal lives, we would never know there was a pandemic. We would never know. And that's why they have to keep spoon-feeding it to us. They have to tell all the stores. They have to mandate the stores. Oh, if you let anybody in, we're going to fine you $2,000 per person who isn't wearing a mask. So then the stores have to You would never know. Nobody would ever know if we turned off the fucking news and we threw away our cell phones. We would never know there was a pandemic. That's why I have to spoon-feed it to us so much every day. It's complete bullshit. And so let's move on to the second reason why we know that it's bullshit. It's been scripted the entire way. Have you heard of Event 201? 
the coronavirus pandemic simulation in October of last year that was run by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Health Organization? Did you hear about that? A coronavirus pandemic simulation in October of last year? They even have it on YouTube. You can watch the whole goddamn thing. The whole simulation. They even have fake little news broadcasts. You know? And then <laughs> the, the, the verbology that they use is the exact verbology that they're using in the mainstream news right now. And this is the exact same thing that we saw with like PNAC and stuff like that. PNAC, Project for a New American Century, where it's like, we just need a big event. We need a world-shattering event to happen so we can go into the Middle East and start taking all the goddamn oil. <laughs> and a year later, we get 9-11. They always run these little fucking simulations and war games, and then they fucking run them in real life. And that's what they did with Event 201. And we'll get into why it's 201. Because that's the Jesuit number. With Gematria. We'll go balls deep in Gematria. Don't you worry. But event 201. Also kind of like Agenda 21. We're going to get into Agenda 21 too. Rosa Corey is going to fucking educate you on Agenda 21. But first, let's get into event 201. If I can find it. Here it is. Event 201, Pandemic Exercise Highlight Reel. <laughs> okay. It began in healthy looking pigs months, perhaps years ago. A new now remember, this is all in October of last year. October 2019. Now, this is the fake little exercise that they're running. Oh, let's... Okay, so there's a pandemic that starts in pigs, and then it goes to humans, and then it spreads worldwide, and it's the coronavirus. Oh, wait. Isn't there a pandemic going on right now that allegedly came out of a Chinese wet market? A zoonotic virus that came from someone eating a bat? Like, oh. Oh my god, they it's the exact same playbook. I'll shut up and I'll let this simulation simulation play out. Coronavirus spread silently within herds. Gradually, farmers started getting sick. Infected people got a respiratory illness with symptoms ranging from mild flu-like signs to severe pneumonia. The sickest required intensive care. Many died. Experts agree unless it is quickly controlled, it could lead to a severe pandemic, an outbreak that circles the globe and affects people everywhere. The mission of the Pandemic Emergency Board is to provide recommendations to deal with the major global challenges arising in response to an unfolding pandemic. The board is comprised of highly experienced leaders from business, public health, and civil society. We could be looking at double the number of cases in one week and 16 times as many in a month if we are not able to stop the spread. That would be on the order of half a million cases and it would continue to rise exponentially. In three months, we could be approaching 10 million cases. We're at the start. 
of what's looking like it will be a severe pandemic. And there are problems emerging that can only be solved by global business and governments working together. We have known about caps-like viruses in animals and people for decades, but have not been successful at developing a licensed vaccine. I'm sure there are new technologies that may help, but it's going to be difficult. I am not optimistic about having a vaccine in time to be relevant during this pandemic. So the policy crisis in question for this board in this meeting is this. How should governments, business, and international organizations allocate and distribute pandemic antivirals and medical supplies to the people who need them most? What we've seen work uh, very well in the HIV field is in fact procurement through the Global Fund. So having a centralized mechanism, so financial, financially able to procure on behalf of affected countries okay. is really critical. I think the second thing, the second thing is um, it's going to be very important that for the business sector, for manufacturers of anti antivirals, that we have clarity around what the need is and where the need is and who are making the decisions. I think that given that uh, the countries most affected are those that are low and middle income countries with unequal access to technology, to, to finances. Uh, the UN has a, a worldwide uh, footprint, universally uh, recognized and uh, universal membership. A global stockpile would certainly help ensure more rational and strategic allocation, but the reality is that we don't have the logistics capability, even within the UN, to bring that together in one place and run it. So this is where I think a collaboration between the international organizations like the World Health Organization and the private sector, which runs these supply chains for many purposes every day. Understand where the supplies are, make smart decisions about how to allocate them to the people who need them in the places that need them the most, and then work with the industry to move those supplies from where they are today to where they need to be. Just to underscore the point that cooperation among supply chain providers or businesses that have huge supply chains mm -hmm. can add a lot of efficiency to the whole process. The question is, can you, through this international mechanism, really promote commitments to doing this as quickly as possible and give people a sense that actually if they contribute more, that they will have a, a better chance of protecting their own populations and their country's security and health? So to be completely clear, most uh, of this production would already be committed in contracts. Yes. Uh, it is almost unheard of that people are producing product without having a forward commitment for the consumption of that product. So the first thing that needs to be done, because this is not something that the countries currently control, unless countries are going to bring about emergency situations and co-opt an existing supply chain. I think it's not likely, I agree, that, that countries are not going to buy, uh, buy a countermeasure to put into a global supply without retaining a large portion of it for themselves. Public health agencies have issued travel advisories, while some countries have banned travel from the worst affected areas. As a result, the travel sector is taking a huge hit. Travel bookings are down 45% and many flights have been cancelled. A ripple effect is racing through the service sector. Governments that rely on travel and tourism as a large part of their economies are being hit particularly hard. How should national leaders businesses and international organizations 
balance the risk of worsening disease that would be caused by the continued movement of people around the world against the risks of profound economic consequence of travel and trade bans. If there's some sense that there's a UN institution that can do all of this, then I, I, I worry we're suffering from a delusional disorder on the power of the UN. Uh, it's really important to get those industries and their trade associations and a, an efficient leadership established, which is decentralized, at, but has a collective responsibility and accountability. And that needs to be supported by um, the public uh, leadership. What is essential, what is non-essential travel, we have to clarify this. Otherwise, if we go down to 20% bookings over a long period, the company will run down. That's a fact. Yeah, there's a whole complex set of issues in a highly interdependent world on supply chains that are just in time. We need to think about how much flex there is in that just-in-time supply chain system and make sure it keeps running. I think it's going to take specificity, and it's going to take knowledge that only the private sector has. The UN can play an important coordinating facilitation role, but the companies know where those commodities are, where they move, how to move them, and that's where a, a, a type of public-private collaboration that we have not generally had in these crises needs to be put together pretty quickly. We are not out of money yet, but the fact is we are trending in a dangerous direction and something needs to change. So the policy question for this board now is how should financial resources be prioritized? Are there nodes that we cannot allow to fail? What is your sense of priorities? We don't have money to pay for all of these urgent problems. So at the moment, we want the fund, right? You need the money. So where's the money? So government can supply some money. A lot of, you know, private sectors, you know, some are sitting here, you have some money. But now you need a really coordinated, centralized efforts. Hotel will be, will be experiencing, you know, crippling losses going back. And we know that the hotel business in itself makes up 5% of the GDP. Governments need to be willing to do things that are out of their historical perspective. Or for the most part, it's, it's really a, a war footing that we need to be on. We shouldn't underestimate the uh, power of entrepreneurship. We need to escalate that, whether it's through you know, the governments um, helping with tax breaks or you know, subsidies of that nature to, to, to increase manufacturing of those types of products. It can happen quickly. A Marshall-type plan, uh, you know, I don't mean to say that exactly, but a Marshall plan that can go into effect uh, can stimulate a change. Marshall law. Countries are reacting in different ways as to how best to manage the overwhelming amounts of dis and misinformation circulating over the internet. In some cases, limited internet shutdowns are being implemented to quell panic. How much control of information should there be? And by whom? And how can false information be effectively challenged? And what if that false information is coming from companies or from governments? I think it's very important that we make sure that there is concise communication with all healthcare facilities where these patients are being treated so that there isn't mass panic. We're at a moment where the social media platforms have to step forward and recognize the moment to assert that they're a technology platform and not a broadcaster is, is over. Um, they, in fact, have to be a participant in broadcasting accurate information and partnering with the scientific and health communities to counterweight, if not flood the zone, 
of accurate information because to, try to put the genie back in the bottle of the misinformation and disinformation is nigh impossible. One thing we haven't spoken about, and I'm wondering whether it's time to talk about this, is uh, a step up from the part of the governments on enforcement actions against fake news. I personally do not believe that trying to shut things down in terms of information is either practical or desirable. And we do have, I think, a, a couple of strategies that are available to us, one of which is the flood strategy, second of which is relying and informing and equipping trusted uh, sources of information with the facts so they can then pass that on. But we also need to actually think about a technological answer to this. The outcome of the CAPS pandemic in event 201 was catastrophic. 65 million people died in the first 18 months. The outbreak was small at first and initially seemed controllable, but then it started spreading in densely crowded and impoverished neighborhoods of megacities. From that point on, the spread of the disease was explosive. Within six months, cases were occurring in nearly every country. The global economy was in a free fall. The GDP down 11%. Stock markets around the world plummeted between 20 and 40 percent and headed into a downward cycle of fear and low expectation. Businesses were not borrowing, banks were not lending, everyone was just hoping to hunker down and weather the storm. Economists say the economic turmoil caused by such a pandemic will last for years, perhaps a decade. The societal impacts, the loss of faith in government, the distrust of news, and the breakdown of social cohesion could last even longer. We have to ask, did this need to be so bad? Are there things we could have done in the five to 10 years leading up to the pandemic that would have lessened the catastrophic consequences? We believe the answer is yes. So are we as a global community now finally ready to do the hard work needed to prepare for the next pandemic? The next pandemic, huh? We got to do the hard work. So what's that? More surveillance, more fucking vaccines. I mean, they, they laid this out in an, in an article on, again, CNN, which I fucking broke down on my uh, cons conspiratorial conspiring Instagram. Here we go. Normal will look very different when this is over. Hmm, what do they mean? There needs to be talk about transition strategies. And each country needs a strong public health architecture, a massive investment in our capacity to do surveillance, contact tracing, isolation, and quarantine, and a robust information system so that people know what to do and where to go if they are sick. This is all about surveillance and contact tracing. It's the track trace database. They've already rolled it out in China. Now they want it here. Social credit scores, it's all coming our way. And you better have that vaccine or else you'll be excluded from regular society. Proof of immunity. There are other ideas gaining traction. In the UK, they are considering the possibility of immunity passports. Thought I was joking? No, the UK is entertaining this. Immunity passports. So if you don't have that vaccine and that certificate of immunity, you're not going anywhere. You're not traveling. People who have recovered from the disease would essentially get papers to return to work. We're going to a papers-please society. The, 
when you realize, when you wake up and you realize that we live in a fascistic corporatism. We live in fascistic corporatism. It's an oligarchy and it's fascist. The government and these large corporations are in bed together, which is the definition of fascism. We live in a fascist society. Papers, please, if you want to work. Sound like Nazi Germany? Because it fucking is. More permanent lockdown in China. There are color-coded phones for the government to monitor where people go and also to enforce quarantine on certain areas. There's an essay by an American woman who has emerged from quarantine in China but says normal isn't normal there anymore. The new normal? Yeah, we'll be talking about that later too. Also, how the cell phones of spring breakers who flouted coronavirus warnings were tracked. This was April 4th. They've had this already. They've, they already have this technology. They're just letting us know about it now. They, and this is on CNN Business. Cell phones of spring breakers who flouted coronavirus warnings were tracked. And then it has a little uh it has a little picture of you know all of this concentration in Florida and then they spread all over the US. They they're going back home from spring break. They already had this technology. They can track us whenever the fuck they want. And then we have this uh, jackass Senator Bill Cassidy. Senator wants a registry to track who has recovered from coronavirus. So, you know, they're, they're just putting it in our face now. Like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a paper, please, society. You're going to have to have your immunity passport. You're, we're already tracking your phone. Uh, norm, it will never go back to normal. It's going to be the new normal. And, you know, they're just throwing it all in our face now. And then, so that was Event 201. Event 201, I mean, come on. They're talking about, uh, you know, Marshall. We, we need a Marshall-type plan. And then he's like, oh, fuck, I messed up. Because uh. <laughs> he clarifies himself right away. He's like, we need a Marshall-type plan. Well, maybe not a Marshall-type plan, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, you want fucking Marshall law. Just come out and say it. Um. And then they're talking about internet shutdowns. So we're still waiting for that. But everything else has happened that they've talked about. You know, they're doing this huge censorship thing on YouTube now. Everybody's getting deleted. Everybody who is exposing this thing for what it really is is getting deleted. Everybody's moving to different platforms. You know, the internet censorship that they were talking about, it's very alive and well. Um... And then at the end, the woman was like, the pandemic got to its worst six months in. Well, if it was declared a pandemic on March 11th, then six months would be 9-11. That would be six months in. So we're about to hit the worst of it. It's about to get so much more worse. And then we're going to see the internet uh, lockdowns, and this is something that the QAnon community has talked about, you know, 10 days of darkness, and that's for Trump to round up all the demonic pedophiles in the government, which there are demonic pedophiles in the government, but Trump's not <laughs> fighting them. He's working with them. So, 
uh, that's another video. I'll, I'll make a fucking QAnon video, but if you're curious about QAnon, I think you should check out, um, uh, I think his name is Dylan Wheeler. His, he was uh, Educating Liberals. That was his handle on YouTube, but I, I think now it's just Dylan Wheeler. He has a really good video um, talking about Q and Trump and um, cause he was, he was like one of the number one QAnon supporters and beating the drum for that. But, you know, like I said, that's a different video. And if you want, if you're interested, go check out, uh, his video on Q and Trump and how it's a psyop. Um, there was also the Clade X simulation. Oh, uh, well to continue on, uh, it's about to get so much worse because we're about to hit that six-month period, and they said it gets really bad after six months. So uh, look for post-9-11. I don't think there's going to be a huge event on 9-11 again or something like that. But I think you know it's the demarcation of the six-month period. And so post uh, after 9-11, we're about to, it's about to get way, way, way worse. And... If you check out, um, oh, what's his name? He's like this OG truther guy. He's been doing truth stuff since the 50s. Fuck, what's his name? I'll pull it up on YouTube here. Um, what's his name? Oh, Jordan Maxwell. All right, so look up Jordan Maxwell, and he talks about a lot of uh, astrological symbols and uh, their impact for October. October, all the shit is going to hit the fan at once. It's going to be fucking riots. It's going to be fucking martial law. It's, uh, like, I like, I don't know exactly what's going to happen in October, but something fucking horrible is going to happen in October. And the astrology bears that out and everything. And also, uh, if you read the book of Revelation from the Bible— which I believe is a handbook for these motherfuckers. You know, they want to carry out the revelation. Um, you know, it's the book of Revelation, the astrological symbols. It's all pointing t towards something horrible happening in October. And whether that's war with China, martial law, fucking extreme riots, um, any kind of shit like that. Um, something horrible is going to happen in October. And so everyone should be prepared for that. And you should stock up on non-perishable food items and ammunition, firearms. Take care of you, yours, and, and water. You just take care of um, everybody around you because something really terrible is going to happen, I believe. So, um, moving on. Clade X was a, another pandemic simulation run by Johns Hopkins University. And that was 666 days um, before March 11th when they declared coronavirus a pandemic. So very interesting. Um, you know, also there was HR 6666 um, in California, which was the contact tracing bill. And then we also have the Microsoft patent um, uh, 060606 A lot of 666s six, six, six in this whole coronavirus thing What the fuck is that all about? And if you're awake at all I mean, you can see exactly what it's about I mean, these are Luciferians in our government That are rolling out The technocracy um, 
that is going to plunge us into a Luciferian hellscape. I mean, they're leading us into the dystopia. So, um, we also have the Rockefeller lockstep for some more uh, predictive programming. Let's find that video. Rockefeller lockstep. Here we go. This guy, uh, investigative journalist oh, Harry Vox. Investigative journalist Harry Vox um, read this all the way back in 2014. Now, he thought that it was going to be the Ebola outbreak that they were going to use this for. Ends up, they didn't they didn't use it for the Ebola outbreak. But now that we found out what they are using it for, they're using it for coronavirus. This is a document back in 2010 that the Rockefeller Foundation, who is also, as I alluded to earlier, um, responsible for our school system and our medical system in this country. And now in 2010, they were saying about how they're going to roll out Operation Lockstep. And, you know, the world is going to act as one in unison to lock down the country in mass and everything. And this is all in 2010. <laughs> and when he starts reading it, you're gonna, your mind is going to be blown because he's reading this back in 2014. So this is just more predictive programming letting us know and th that's what these luciferians in our government like to do uh well it's what their religion makes them do because they believe in karma so they they have to tell us what they're going to do before they do it so they're absolved of any bad karma because if they were to pull this on us without telling us about it then they get bad karma or whatever the hell they believe in but um they tell us about it, so if we don't do anything about it, then they're absolved in their eyes. So, here's Harry Vox with Operation Lockstep. The ruling establishment has a lot of... They, they will stop at nothing to complete their toolkit of control. So, one of the things that has been missing from the toolkit of total control has been quarantines and curfews, right? Mm -hmm. So now, welcome to the new world in America where to get on a bus to go through a subway station. If you think that the procedures at the TSA are onerous, right? Guess this is coming to a bus depot near you. It's a more invasive way, and the ruling class needs this because, let me say, if the ruling class ever saw yeah. wide-scale civil unrest, you'd see an Ebola outbreak in America right away. Okay, so this is, what you see is that Ebola is... Another tool in the toolbox of the ruling of class control. Yeah, to, of, to keep down Absolutely, repression. positively, 100%. This is a tool. Right. Ebola doesn't just magically start spreading. Mm -hmm. And then we have these doctors that come back here. The white people, of course, live. Mm -hmm. you know, the two whites who got it survive. All the black people that get it die. Uh, right? It's very possible that uh, these uh, NG, one of one of these NGOs over there is going around uh, with a veil of uh, Ebola or spreading it from a small plane onto villages. The point is, is to get hundreds of thousands of people infected with it and uh, create uh, the next phase of control. Now, one of the things I'd like to show to back up my, uh, uh, my claims here uh, here's a document from the uh, Rockefeller Foundation. Rockefeller Foundation, right there. You can zoom in on that, where my finger is. It's called Scenarios for for the Future International Development, the Rockefeller Foundation. All right. Okay. Let's take a look at what they're saying here. 
this is a, something like a 50, 60 page document. I'd like to, you to go to uh, page 18, if you can look at this up on the internet, but I'll read it up to you. It's called lockstep, lockstep. And this is a, a phrase that I used uh, right after 2001 when I saw the entire system of the United States, including the population, were in lockstep. Uh, so the Congress went along, and yes, it was Osama bin Laden, and the people waved their flag and said, I hate, 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 and everything was in lockstep. Well, in 2010, uh, they published this, Rockefeller Foundation, and here's what they're saying. They're saying that, uh, it's, they call it a scenario. These are scenario narratives, and they speak about it in the past tense. So they put out this scenario, lockstep. A world of tighter top-down government control and more authoritarian leadership with limited innovation and growing citizen pushback. Okay, I'll read a, a little bit of it. In 2012, the pandemic that the world had been anticipating for years, nobody was anticipating a pandemic, finally hit. Unlike 2009's N1H, uh, H1N1, uh, this new influenza strain uh, originating from wild geese, they use wild, they use some scenario, but this is Ebola they're yeah, talking about. Even the most pandemic prepared nations were quickly overwhelmed when the virus streaked around the world, infecting nearly 20% of the global population and killing 8 million in just seven months, the majority of them healthy young adults. The pandemic also had a deadly effect on economies. You, you, can, see the, you can see the agenda just naked, raw, naked control agenda written down, and it's anybody's guess how this becomes effectuated in real life. So whether this is written specifically as marching orders or whether people take it upon themselves in the intelligence networks to say, okay, well, this has been produced, so this is the plan here. But these narratives have to be written in advance because the intelligence agencies don't know how to do this, these narratives. They need help. So the, these think tanks, they come up with these like Rand Corporation, Rockefeller Foundation. These are think tanks of death. They're not the think tanks. They're not there to find great ways to help people. Right? Okay. The pandemic also had a deadly effect on economics. International mobility of both people and goods screeched to a halt, right? which is what they want. They want a completely isolated world, right? Debilitating industries like tourism and breaking global supply chains. Well, of course they want tourism stopped because they don't, they're not in the tourism business. And they want you at home, in your house, in front of the TV. Then they got you because once you watch the TV, they, they own your soul. Even locally... Wait a second. We're on television. I mean commercial television, let's say. Uh, national. Yeah. Even locally, uh, normally bustling shops and offices sat empty for months. Okay, so th I love how they talk about it in the past tense in 2010. Right? The pandemic blanketed the planet, though disproportionate numbers in Africa died, <laughs> Southeast Asia, and Central America, where the virus spread like wildfire. It sounds like the opening uh, monologue of a disaster movie, right? Exactly. Now listen, to, here's the good stuff now. But even in developed countries, containment was a challenge. Now here's this one. I love this one. The United States' initial policy of strongly discouraging, in quotation marks, strongly discouraging citizens from flying proved deadly in its leniency. So they're saying, oh, so they're saying that... No, keep going. Read it. It proved deadly in its leniency. So they should have been tougher, right? Accelerating the spread of the virus, not just within the United States, but across borders. However, a few countries did fare better. 
China in particular. The Chinese government's quick imposition and enforcement of mandatory quarantine for all citizens, as well as its instant and near hermetic sealing off of all borders, saved millions of lives, stopping the spread of virus far earlier than in other countries. So the message is here is we have to look towards the Chinese, the oppressive totalitarian yeah, Chinese regime as an example of what we, we need to be doing here. And of course, the ruling class here loves the Chinese regime because they have the, they have demonstrated to the ruling class the most efficient form of author capitalism, which is authoritarian capitalism. So we have capitalism, but unfortunately we have this, like, veil. I get it. We have this veil of democracy. This is very interesting. This is, continue on. Okay. Uh, okay. China's government was not the only one that took extreme measures to protect its citizens from risk and exposure. During the pandemic, national leaders around the world flexed their muscles flexed their authority and imposed airtight rules and restrictions. You can see the agenda. Hey, no, go, 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 go. Okay. From the mandatory wearing of face masks to body temperature checks at the entries to communal spaces like uh, That's what's happening right train. Now. Sound familiar? It'll be at the subway? Yeah. Well, now you're saying we'll be going through this in the oh, subway, get on buses and the subway, absolutely, things like that. And, and what, what this means, though, is, you know, don't, don't think about having a, you know, a cigarette. This is in 2014, people. Basically, you can't... This is a, a dragnet for everything. So if... if in order for you, oh, in other words, just like with stop and frisk, this is ultimate stop and frisk. And this is the this ultimate is cavity stop and frisk, cavity search kind of thing. All right. So during the pandemic, national leaders around there flex their authority. You know, they're 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 they're, they're uh, now there's some good stuff. Listen to this. Uh, and even supermarkets, they want uh, body checks at supermarkets. Okay. So basically, what they're saying is they're building a system where. Every move you make, you can't you get gotta food. go through them. You okay. can't get food. Protection well, how about food. if you go to the farmer's market? Right. Here's the good stuff now. I mean, it just keeps getting better. Even after the pandemic faded, this more authoritarian control and oversight of citizens and their activities stuck and even intensified. That's the whole point. So they're going to so get rid of... Did that happen already with 9-11? Uh, of course. 9-11 was how many? 14 years sure. ago, and sure. we still have all these uh, draconian So they're going to put the body cavity USA, searches Patriot, in. USA, Patriot, and That's all right. that. That's right. So in order to get to a supermarket, you got to have a body cavity search, and then when there's no more evil, Ebola, well, you know what? We kind of like this way because we have a in complete infrastructure of uh, a complete control grid. Like, in order pr to protect themselves from the spread of increasingly global problems, from pandemics <clears throat> and national terrorism to environmental crisis and rising poverty, leaders around the world took a firmer grip on power. Well, what the hell would rising poverty have anything to do with imposing strict... Uh, citizen controls with face masks all right? so they're very sloppy stuff here uh, at first the notion of a more controlled world gained wide acceptance and approval I'm sorry nobody likes this stuff can, they're can, just can saying it no I have to I have to provide analysis oh my god okay citizens willingly gave up some of their sovereignty and their privacy to more paternalistic states in exchange for greater safety and stability. I mean, that's just a, a, that's just a complete naked contradiction to the famous saying that if you think you're going to give up a little bit of uh, security, I mean, if you want, if you're going to give up your freedom for security, you're going to get neither. That's the long-standing thing. And here, what they're doing is 
they're not even ashamed or embarrassed to absolutely say the exact opposite. To say, yes, we all want to give up our, our privacy and sovereignty for more stability and security and stability. So you don't get that. When you give it up like that, you get the shaft. That's Can you show us the, t the cover again of I'll what you were just reading? One more just, time, and then I have this two is more documents. Right, two this more is what we were reading here, and just zoom in a little bit so folks can see it. He'll zoom in. Don't worry. You can relax. Right. And scenarios for the future of technology and international development. Okay. Now, I have two more documents. Keep it zoomed. We have the National Security Memorandum of December 10th, 1974. This is Henry oh, Kissinger's yeah. brainchild. The National Security Memorandum number 200. You can look that up on your internet. Internet. I'll summarize it. He says that there's too many people. we got to get rid of the population. So if, to answer your question. Oh, from earlier. Yeah, yeah. He says he used the word depopulation, which is different. Depopulation means killing people that already exist, and it's to get the minerals, because we need the minerals. And here's another one. The CDC has a patent on Ebola. They patented it. Yeah? So basically, if you want to get a cure for your Ebola, uh, here it says right up here, right? It says human Ebola virus species and compositions and methods thereof, and it's a patent. It's a patent. Uh, they patented the main strain plus something like 17 other strains of it. So they own it now, and I don't know how exactly you can own that, but apparently they've, they've done the same thing. Yeah, I didn't think you could own a natural... Yeah, you can. They've, uh, I guess the main thing to, 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 to finish off this show is this, that... Um, uh, that um, they want to get more control, more curfews, and it's, and it's going to be curfews and quarantine. So what I'm saying is that unless the American people start to get some new um, way to uh, revolt, a new way to organize, new way to protest, new uh, in, unless they, we can break through the uh, apathy, because that's what we have here, uh, then it's going to be a slave state here. The ruling class doesn't seem to have too much resistance. They're getting everything on their Christmas uh, shopping list. And they've been wanting quarantines and curfews for a long time. Now they got it. And and if you want to live in a world where you're tricked into all this stuff because it's for your safety, right? And if you want to have a probe and make sure you got to check your pockets, make sure you don't have anything incriminating on you before you go out. And, and when you step out of your house, you want some police there to monitor and see what you're doing. If that's the world you want to live in, be apathetic. Don't do anything. You're going to get that world very soon. It's coming your way, definitely. Mm -hmm. So Same. what should people do? What's the hope? You have 30 seconds. To wake up, learn about it, and go fight these bastards in Washington. They're easy to beat. If we can just organize, we can beat them. It's simple. They're weak, and there's so few of them. Very interesting, huh? That was 2014. Now, he thought it was going to be Ebola. No. It's coronavirus in 2020. It's COVID-19. That is what they're using the Rockefeller lockstep plan for. Now, this is from the Rockefeller Foundation. This is not conspiracy-contrived bullshit. This is cooked up by the Rockefeller Foundation. The very people who run our medical and school systems. They're talking about mandatory face masks, body temperature checks. Sound familiar? That's exactly what's going on right now. Operation Lockstep. You know why it's called Lockstep? Because everybody is doing the same thing all around the world. Everybody's in Lockstep. 
with lockstep. <laughs> I mean, it's just, oh, God, you can see right fucking through all this bullshit. Also, I was talking about Bill Gates earlier. Uh, who is Bill Gates is a great question. You should watch James Corbett's Bill Gates documentary. If you go on YouTube and you type in Bill Gates, James Corbett, he's got a fantastic four-part documentary series on Bill Gates. Or I think he actually combined them all together and just made one uh, two-hour documentary with uh, the four parts. So definitely recommend checking that out to see just how big of a piece of shit, vile, disgusting human being Bill Gates really is. Because right now it seems like he's the savior and he's making all these vaccines that are going to save the world from coronavirus and everything like that. Total bullshit. He's been involved in eugenics and a uh, population depopulation efforts for a long time just look at what he's done in africa and india to some of those people that he's given vaccines to so go watch james corbett's bill gates documentary he's a vile i don't even know if you could call him a human being he's disgusting he's a horrible person and he should not be paraded around as this great uh full uh philanthropist However the fuck you say that word. Okay. Now, let's get into some gematria. Now, this is going to be controversial for some, and they're not going to understand it, but whatever. I'm going to talk about it anyway, because I think that it's important. So, we're basically talking about um, numerology here. So... Trump gave a speech at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. This speech was given by Trump to the World Economic Forum January 21st, his 222nd day of his age. So his birthday is June 14th. 222 days after his birthday was January 21st, which is the day uh, he gave the speech at the World Economic Forum. And that is a huge number with the coronavirus scandal that has much to do with Switzerland where Trump was speaking January 21st, 2020, which is the home of the World Economic Forum. So again, Trump speaks there 222 days after his birthday. World Economic Forum in Gematria equals 222. Now Gematria is a system with four ciphers and the easiest to understand cipher is the ordinal in the English ordinal, where A is 1, B is 2, C is 3, all the way to Z is the 26th letter. So if you were to spell cat, it would be, you know, 3, C equals 3. So 3 plus 1, because A is 1, and then whatever the hell T is, and then you get a total, which would be something like 30 or something like that. So... Um, that's basically how Gematria works, and there's four different ciphers, and it's important because um, this knowledge was laid out in The Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall, who was a 33rd degree Freemason, 33, one of the most important numbers, probably the most important number next to 74, 33 and 74, two biggest numbers in Gematria. So going back to this... Um, 
Trump spoke at the World Economic Forum 222 days after his birthday. World Economic Forum equals 222. Wuhan coronavirus equals 222. New York, New York equals 222, where it was where the pandemic was apparently the worst. Event 201 equals 222. And the Freemasonic slogan of order out of chaos equals 222. Not to also um, bring up that March 11th, when it was declared a, when coronavirus was declared a pandemic, was also 222 months exactly to the day of 9-11. September 11th, 2001. 222, big number for the Masonic influences that pull the strings of America. And so you can decipher all of this bullshit by that code. So they've perfectly scripted all of this by um, this code that they use of Gematria. And so also Dean Kuntz wrote a book called The Eyes of Darkness, which predicted Wuhan coronavirus. Notice, so there was an article written about... a. And the title of the article is A Virus Called Wuhan 400 Makes People Terribly Ill in a Dean Kuntz Thriller from 1981. How is it that some books appear to prophecy events? Well, that story broke on February 13th, 2020, the 44th day of the year. Dean Kuntz equals 44. Prophet, because they're saying how do books appear to prophecy events? So they're calling Dean Kuntz a prophet. Prophet equals 44. And military equals 44 because it's a military, um, whatever happens in the book has to do with the military. I don't fucking know. <laughs> but um, he was just referring to how all of these things, uh, Wuhan 400 equals 201, like event 201, right? And so... It's just all perfectly scripted by this code. And it's also uh, the year of the rat. Uh, and rats carry diseases, allegedly. And so in three of the four ciphers, year of the rat and Dean, Dean Ray Kuntz, which Ray is his middle name, completely overlap. They both equal 61, 182, and 65. So they almost completely overlap. Year of the Rat and Dean Ray Kuntz. And in the book, um, there's a conspiracy in the book called Project Pandora. And when you type in Project Pandora, it equals 222 and 78. Well, Wuhan coronavirus equals 222 and 78. And also, we talked about 222 World Economic Forum equaling 222. And then, of course, we had Event 201 with, and then um, the Jesuit, Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci equals 56, Society of Jesus 56, Washington, D.C. 56, Coronavirus 
56. This whole year has been a giant 56 ritual because coronavirus equals 56. And then also, again, going back to Event 201, why was it called Event 201? Well, the Jesuit order equals 201. The Jesuits uh, could also be called the Illuminati. You know, a lot of people talk about the Illuminati, which was a real organization. But I think that if you were to classify a group as the modern Illuminati, it would be the Jesuit order. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola equals 201. Jorge Mario Bergoglio, the Pope right now, uh, he his name equals 201, and he's the first publicly Jesuit Pope. Jose Joaquin de Ferrer, the guy who co coined the term Corona, uh, his name equals 201, and the Holy Bible equals 201. And then it... In Revelation in the Bible, it talks about the seven churches of Revelation, also known as the seven churches of the apocalypse and the seven churches of Asia. Well, seven churches equals 201 and seven churches of Asia equals 201. And then going to how we had the first confirmed case of coronavirus in the United States on January 21st. I think it was first reported on January 19th or something like that, but it was the first confirmed case was announced on January 21st. And that's because seven churches of Revelation equals 121, Revelation equals 121, Coronavirus Outbreak 121, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation 121, Johns Hopkins University 121 and World Health Organization equals 121. So that's really convenient how on January 21st, which can be written as 1 slash 21, um, you know, it's the first confirmed case on that date and all of these um, foundations and universities and organizations um, just happened to sum to 121 in Gematria. Society of Jesus also equals 56, which is another name for the Jesuits. And like I said, coronavirus equals 56, Pope equals 56, and um, we talked about how the Jesuit order equals 201 and how we have the first publicly Jesuit pope. Um, and that's why the basically the Jesuits have carried out the coronavirus as a massive ritual to launch us into the new age of technocracy, which probably sounds super foreign and a bunch of mumbo jumbo to a lot of people but if you do the research it's it's um all right there in your face and so moving on to bill and melinda gates event 201 hosted by bill and melinda gates foundation took place october 18th 2019 the same day the military world games began in wuhan this is the event that simulated 65 million people being killed Notice it came on Melinda Gates's 65th day of her age. So she was born on August 15th, and October 18th 
is 65 days after um, her birthday. So, why 65 days after her birthday did they run this simulation? Um, with 65 million people dying? Well, pandemic equals 65 and simulation equals 65. It's also interesting to note that Bill and Melinda Gates were married January 1st, 1994, 65 days after Bill's 38th birthday. So Bill Gates was born October 28th, and then on January 1st is 65 days after birthday. So the Gateses have a lot of gematria with 65, and why? Because uh, pandemic equals 65 and it also equals 38 so it's funny how pandemic equals 65 and 38 and they got married 65 days after his 38th birthday so that's just a coincidence right um and now he's the face of this you know pandemic that is playing out right now and Bill Gates equals 33, Masonry equals 33, Federal equals 33, Secrecy equals 33, Order equals 33, Corona equals 33. So it's not hard to see who's pulling the strings behind Bill Gates and who's telling him what to do. And we already talked about Claydex, how that was 666 days um, before March 11th. It was on May 15th, 2018, 666 days before March 11th when the coronavirus was declared a pandemic. Very interesting. Took place on May 15th, 2018, a date that can be written 15 slash 5 in most of the world, like 155, coronavirus equals 155. Not hard to see why they held it on that particular day. Clade X also equals 113. Uh, and the pandemic was March 11th, so a date that can be written as 11 slash 3. Johns Hopkins University also equals 113, coronavirus pandemic, 113, apocalypse, 113. People have talked about this being the apocalypse. Um, moving on to Bill HR6666. The contact tracing app, um, Trace and Beast almost have perfect uh, perfect overlap in Gematria, equaling 47, 88, and 34, Trace and Beast. Um, Revelation also equals 121. We were talking about how Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation equals 121, Johns Hopkins University 121. Um, And then the senator that put this bill forth was Bobby L. Rush, which equals 56. And um, it was introduced by Joe Courtney, whose name also sums to 56. It's the CARES Act, which equals 56, like coronavirus equals 56. A lot of 56s there. So not hard to see what's going on behind Bill HR 6666. And then we have 
uh, Microsoft's patent for cryptocurrency system that uses body activity data and it's March 26, 2020 publication date. So that is, the patent is number 060606. Again, more 666s and it was by Microsoft and they're famous for computers and computer equals 666 in English Sumerian gematria, dollar sign 666, internet 666, vaccination 666, mandatory 666. Uh, isopsophy equals 666, which is the Greek word for gematria. Um, so it's not hard to see that the Luciferians are encoding all of this gematria into the inevitable um, mandatory vaccine, whether it's government mandatory or if it's exclusionary, where you'll be excluded from society or participating in society if you don't have the vaccine. Um, because the vaccine is the mark of the beast that the revelation that the uh, biblical revelation talks about. So then um, there's this guy, Rambo, who's who also writes for uh, Gematria Effect News, where I'm getting these articles from and uh, information from. Um, and he focuses more on astrology and astrological symbols and also... Uh, encodes or not encodes but uses gematria for his work at well his his work as well and he talks he has this article mind control and the psychological aspect of coronavirus and he begins it with at the heart of what the human race has been and is currently facing is mind control to have power of people to have power of people one has to control their perceptions Project MKUltra is a Nazi-assisted CIA trauma-based mind control program that achieves absolute control over the subject's mind, thoughts, and actions. And if you don't believe me, look up MKUltra. It is a real CIA program that they said that they they said that they stopped it decades ago, but that's complete bullshit. They're still using it today. He continues with Government agencies, psychiatric institutions, secret societies, elite families, and cults practice MKUltra-style trauma-based mind control. And then he starts with a picture of a butterfly and monarch. It just says monarch at the top. An MKUltra subject and mind slave is called a monarch. The CIA's Project MKUltra officially morphed into Project Monarch. Project Monarch is named after the monarch butterfly, which has become the most common symbol of mind control. A butterfly literally becomes another entity after previously being a caterpillar. This is a metaphor for the new person slash people that an MK Ultra monarch becomes. Psyche, which was a Greek goddess, the Greek goddess Psyche is depicted with butterfly wings. This is another reason for the butterfly as a mind control symbol. And then there is the sphenoid bone in the brain resembles a butterfly. This is another reason that the butterfly is a mind control symbol. And then it goes and shows some pictures of the sphenoid bone, which 
does remarkably look like a monarch butterfly. Monarch is a key element of the current corona zeitgeist. Corona means crown in Spanish. In English, monarchs are coronad. I don't know uh, what he's going for there. In English, monarchs are corona ted. Moving on, though, uh, the sphenoid also looks like a bat. Coronavirus supposedly originates from a bat. Um, Kobe Bryant, this is an ongoing royalty theme to the coronavirus zeitgeist. The dovetails with monarch as both a mind control term and a royalty term. Kobe Bryant led into the coronavirus headlines. He is reported buried at Corona Del Mar, California, which equals 56, by the way, like coronavirus. Uh, born in Philadelphia and ending up in L.A., he is compared to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. The day before his death, he was passed on the NBA all-time scoring list by King James, LeBron James, in Philadelphia. Bryant had a tattoo of a crown, Corona, with a monarch butterfly crest. His memorial was heavily themed with monarch butterflies this is an indication that he and his wife and daughter, most likely, are MK Ultra Monarchs. Also, an indication that the entire episode is a psychological operation on the public. The coronavirus panic creates the only psychological condition under which people will accept a circumstance that they would otherwise reject or actively fight against. This circumstance is worldwide authoritarian subjugation bereft of human sovereignty, perfectly acceptable when the only alternative is slow, torturous annihilation. There has been bewildering panic rush on toilet paper worldwide. Gematria reveals the psyop behind the phenomenon. Toilet paper and mind control have perfect Gematria overlap. 137, 56. Again, we see that 56. So, Toilet paper and mind control both equal 56. Coronavirus, 56. Um, and also Jesuit order, 56. Um, but toilet paper and mind control, perfect gematria overlap, 137, 56, 160, and 61. Birds of Prey was a movie in theaters at the time of the shutdown. Birds of Prey features DC Comics villainous Harley Quinn, who is on an occulted level for those with eyes to see, the MK Ultra mind-controlled slave of her programmer and handler, the Joker. The CIA's precursor program to Project MK Ultra is Project Bluebird. Notice the homage to Project Bluebird around Harley Quinn's head in the movie's poster art above, which there is. Again, Gematria Occults, the movie's hidden message, mind control. And Birds of Prey also has perfect gematria overlap with Mind Control 137, uh, 160-61. And it actually has, uh, in the full reduction cipher, 65 instead of 56, but close enough. Gematria proves that even seemingly insignificant phrases like oopsie-daisy are actually meticulously chosen for their profound hidden meanings. Below is a DC Comics 
cover rendition of MK Ultra Mind Slave Monarch Harley Quinn. Oopsie Daisy has perfect Chimatria overlap with Mind Control 137, 56, 160, and 61. Gematria reveals the psychological operation aspect of the coronavirus phenomenon. Coronavirus 56, Mind Control 56, Toilet Paper 56, Oopsie Daisy 56, and then Birds of Prey with that 65. And 65 equals pandemic. Um, George Orwell equals 56. People are saying that this is an Orwellian nightmare because of his movie uh, 1984. His movie, or uh, not his movie, his book, 1984, which is a technocratic dystopia, which we are being led into. Before it was called MK Ultra, it was Project Bluebird. Notice how the Twitter icon is a Bluebird, Project Bluebird 160, Mind Control 160, Toilet Paper 160, Birds of Prey 160, Oopsie Daisy 160. The psychological operation behind pandemic hysteria is admitted to in the subtitle of 2011's contagion movie nothing spreads like fear it's not a biological virus that is spreading it's a psychological virus that is spreading brain computer interface the high-tech future of mind control brain computer interfaces and mind control move one step closer to becoming a reality which is a forbes article which is going to be possible with Elon Musk's um, brain implant that he wants to do. And this is a quote from the article. While still at early stages of development, these would enable us to operate connected devices simply by thought, while at the same time, some would allow for the causation to flow in the opposite direction from the outside world into our brains. Again, different fields, cinema and science, but the same essence. Mind control manifests in gematria. Nothing spreads like fear equals 236, 110, and 358. Brain-computer interface equals 236, 110, and 358. It's Now, when you start realizing, when you wake up and you realize that the Hollywood industrial complex is really just all about predictive programming and showing us what the world is going to be, then you watch movies in an entirely different way because there's so many movies that have predicted exactly what happens in the future. So that's all I've got to say on the Gematria front right now. I just think that that is important information and that it needs to be discussed. All those 56s and 121s, 222s are all over this whole pandemic scenario we are living in. Let's move on to... All right, so some of you might be asking, well, why would the government lie to us like this? Why would they want to do this? Well, watch Noam Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent, great documentary, ex explains exactly how the news can manipulate our minds and make us believe in certain um, narratives that they want to push. Watch the Minds of Men documentary by True Stream Media on YouTube or BitChute, fantastic. They talk about MKUltra and Project Monarch and everything like that. Watch The Century of Self. 
um, which basically delves into Edward Bernays, who's the father of propaganda. He wrote a book on how to use propaganda, and the book itself was named Propaganda. He's the father of propaganda, and it shows how they completely manipulated people through advertising and other means um, to encourage people to vote for candidates, to buy products, everything. And then, you know, also, why would they lie? Well, they've lied us into wars. They lied about the Syria chemical attack, which is a provable false flag. Um, 9-11 was, uh, I already talked about that, project for a new American century. You know, they were detailing how they needed an event, and then 9-11 happened, and then there were the dancing Israelis and Tower 7, and you could go down a whole rabbit hole with 9-11. 9-11 is a provable demonstrable false flag and led us into a war that has no end in sight still like 20 years later uh, an operation mockingbird another cia operation where the cia infiltrated the news media back in the 50s and has basically been writing scripts for these news agencies to uh, follow with their news stories and everything like that. So look into Operation Mockingbird and MK Ultra. Those are provable, documented CIA operations that really happened, not conspiracy, provable fact. So um, also I have a list of proved false flags. 53 admitted false flag attacks. So not theory, admitted fact that these all 100% happened and the governments in one form or another had to admit that they carried these out as psychological operations against their populace. So the first one, Japanese troops set off a small explosion on a train track in 1931 and falsely blamed it on China in order to justify an invasion of Manchuria. Number two, a major with the Nazi SS admitted that at the Nuremberg trials, under orders from chief of the Gestapo, he and other Nazi operatives faked attacks on their own people and resources, which they blamed on the Poles to justify the invasion of Poland. Nazi General Franz Halder also testified at the Nuremberg trials that the Nazi leader Hermann Goering admitted to setting fire to the German parliament building in 1933 and then falsely blaming the communists for arson. Number four, Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev admitted in writing that the Soviet Union's Red Army shelled the Russian village of Manila in 1939 while blaming the attack on Finland as a basis for launching the winter war against Finland. Number five, the Russian parliament Current Russian President Putin and former Soviet leader Gorbachev all admit that Soviet leader Joseph Stalin ordered his secret police to execute 22,000 Polish army officers and civilians in 1940 and falsely blamed it on the Nazis. The British government, number six, the British government admits that between 1946 and 1948, it bombed five ships carrying Jews attempting to flee the Holocaust to seek safety in Palestine, set up a fake group called Defenders of Arab Palestine, and then had the pseudo group falsely claim responsibility for the bombings. <laughs> I mean, come on! <laughs> it's right in your face! 
Israel admits that in 1954, this is number seven, 1954, an Israeli terror, terrorist cell operating in Egypt planted bombs in several buildings, including U.S. diplomatic facilities, then left behind evidence implicating the Arabs as culprits. One of the bombs detonated prematurely, allowing the Egyptians to identify the bombers, and several of the Israelis later confessed. Number eight, the CIA admits that it hired Iranians in the 1950s to pose as communists and stage bombings in Iran in order to turn the country against its democratically elected prime minister. Number nine, the Turkish prime minister admitted that the Turkish government carried out the 1955 bombing on a Turkish consulate in Greece, also damaging the nearby birthplace of the founder of modern Turkey and blamed it on Greece. Number 10, the British Prime Minister admitted uh, admitted to his defense secretary that he and the American President Dwight Eisenhower approved a plan in 1957 to carry out attacks in Syria and blame it on the Syrian government as a way to affect regime change. Mm-mm-mm, regime change, all the way back in 19, 1957. We've been doing this for a long time, folks. Number 11, the former Italian prime minister, an Italian judge, and the former head of Italian counterintelligence admit that NATO, with the help of the Pentagon and CIA, carried out terror bombings in Italy and other European countries in the 1950s and blamed the communists in order to rally people's support for their governments in Europe in their fight against communism. Number 22, in 1960... American Senator George Smathers suggested that the U.S. launch a false attack made on Guantanamo Bay, which would give us the excuse of actually fermenting a fight, which would then give us the excuse to go into and overthrow Castro. So in that regard, he was just suggesting it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, number 23, official State Department documents show that in 1961, the head of Joint Chiefs and other high officials discussed blowing up a consulate in the Dominican Republic in order to justify an invasion of that country. The plans were not carried out, but they were all discussed as serious proposals. Number 24, as admitted by the U.S. government, recently declassified documents show that in 1962, the American Joint Chiefs of Staff signed off on a plan to blow up American airplanes using an elaborate plan involving the switching off the sw the switching of airplanes uh, and also to commit terrorist acts on American soil and then to blame it on the Cubans in order to justify an invasion of Cuba. So you see all of these terrorist acts happen in America and terrorists blowing up American planes or some shit like that? How do we not know that the government, that the United States government is carrying out those false flag attacks because we have the documentation of Operation Northwoods, which is what he's referencing here in number 24, where we were going to blow up civilian airliners and commit false flag uh, atrocities on American soil in order to garner support against the Cubans. That's real. That's a fact. You think that the American government isn't isn't capable of 
committing atrocities and doing horrible things to its own people in order to push a narrative that they want, they are 100% capable of doing that. Number 25, in 1963, the U.S. Department of Defense wrote a paper promoting attacks on nations within the Organization of America of American States, such as Trinidad, Tobago, or Jamaica, and then falsely blaming them on Cuba. We really fucking hated Cuba for a while. The U.S. Department of Defense even suggested covertly paying a person in the Castro government to attack the United States. The only area remaining for consideration then would to be to bribe one of Castro's subordinate commanders to initiate an attack on Guantanamo, which is a direct quote. And that was number 26. Number 27, the NSA admits that it lied about what really happened in the Gulf of Tonkin incident in 1964, manipulating data to make it look like the North Vietnamese boats fired on a U.S. ship so as to create a false justification for the Vietnam War. We, one of the most destructive wars and a war that we pretty much lost against the Vietnamese all started from a false flag attack where the NSA had manipulated data to make it look like the Gulf of Tonkin uh, was caused by the North Vietnamese boats firing on a U.S. vessel. Think about that. Think the government can't lie to you? That they always tell the truth? That they give a goddamn about you? That's what cracks me up with the whole coronavirus thing. That people think that the government cares about you. The government the government will send you out in an airplane and blow you to smithereens in order to justify a war effort. They don't give a fuck about you. That they and that, But now they care? These are the good people that are going to take care of us? From a pandemic, a horrible pandemic that's killing thousands, millions around the world? Bullshit. They're willing to kill you to justify their war effort. You're collateral damage to them. You're a statistic. They don't care about you. And that's evidenced in these false flag attacks time after time. How many do I have to read to you? They keep doing it. And this didn't stop. 28. A U.S. Congressional Committee admitted that, as part of its COINTELPRO campaign, the FBI had used many provocateurs in the 1950s through the 1970s to carry out violent acts and falsely blame them on political activists. Come on. Come on. Are you starting to see it now? Number 29. A top Turkish general admitted that Turkish forces burned down a mosque on Cyprus in the 1970s and blamed it on their enemy. He, he explained, in special war, certain acts of sabotage are staged and blamed on the enemy to increase public resistance. Oh, well, at least he puts it in black and white for you. <laughs> I mean, like, that's just perfect, man, because that's exactly what happens. Number 30, the German government admitted that in 1978, the German Secret Service detonated a bomb in the outer wall of a prison and planted escape tools on a prisoner, a member of the Red Army faction, which the Secret Service wished to frame on the bombing. Number 31, a Mossad agent admits that in 1984, Mossad planted a radio transmitter in Gaddafi's compound in Tripoli, Libya, which 
broadcasted fake terrorist transmissions recorded by Mossad in order to frame Gaddafi as a terrorist supporter. Ronald Reagan bombed Libya immediately thereafter. We bombed a country based on the Israeli secret service, the Mossad, making fake terrorist transmissions. Yeah, that's real. That's documented. That's not conspiracy. Number 32, the South African Truth and Reconciliation Council found that in 1989, the Civil Cooperation Bureau, a covert branch of the South African Defense Force, approached an explosives expert and asked him to participate in an operation aimed at discrediting the ANC, the African National Congress, by bombing the police vehicle of the investigating officer into the murder incident, thus framing the ANC for the bombing. Number 33, an Algerian diplomat and several officers in the Algerian army admit in the 1990s the Algerian army frequently massacred Algerian citizens and blamed Islamic militants for for the killings. Number 34, the United States Army's 1994 publication Special Forces Forces Foreign Intelligence Internal Defense Tactics, Techniques, and Procedures for Special Forces, updated in 2004, recommends employing terrorists and using false flag operations to destabilize leftist regimes in in Latin America. And we have decimated Latin America with our fucking regime change bullshit. And number 35, an Indonesian fact-finding team investigated violent riots which occurred in 1998 and determined that elements of the military had been involved in the riots, some of which were deliberately provoked. Senior Russian senior military and intelligence officers admit that the KGB blew up Russian apartment buildings in 1999 and falsely blamed it on the Chechens in order to justify an invasion of Chechnya. According number 37, according to the Washington Post, Indonesian police admit that the Indonesian military killed American teachers in Pawpaw in 2002 and blamed the murders of on a Pawpaw separatist group in order to get that group listed as a terrorist organization. Number 38, the well-respected former Indonesian president also admits that the government probably played a role in the Bali bombings. Number 39, as reported by BBC, the New York Times, and the Associated Press, Macedonian officials admit that the government murdered seven innocent migrants in cold blood and pretended that they were Al-Qaeda soldiers attempting to assassinate Macedonian police in order to join the war on terror. Number 40, senior police officials in Genoa, Italy, admitted that in in July 2001 at the G8 summit in Genoa, planted two Molotov cocktails and faked the stabbing of a police officer in order to justify a violent crackdown against protesters. Sound like what they're doing right now? All this looting fucking bullshit? You don't think that there aren't CIA, FBI plants in those crowds stoking the rioters on? Making them do things they normally wouldn't do. Number 41. The U.S. falsely blamed Iraq for playing a role in 9-11 attacks. As shown by a memo from the defense secretary as one of the main justifications for launching the Iraq war. 
Even after the 9-11 Commission admitted that there was no connection, Dick Cheney said that the evidence is overwhelming that al-Qaeda had a relationship with Saddam Hussein's regime, that Cheney probably had information unavailable to the commission, and that the media was not doing their homework in reporting such ties. Oh, good old Dick Cheney. He knows best, doesn't he? Although the FBI now admits that the 2001 anthrax attacks were carried out by one or more U.S. government scientists, a senior FBI official says that the FBI was actually told to blame the anthrax, anthrax attacks on al-Qaeda by White House officials. Oh, yeah. You get... You get the... <laughs> the point that I'm trying to drill home here. The governments don't give a damn about you. They're willing to kill you in cold blood, blow you up in a plane, involve you in a false flag attack, kill you in a false flag attack in order to justify a war effort, a propaganda narrative, or whatever the fuck. They don't care about you. They're not looking after your best interests. These are real documents. Not made up bullshit like the news pushes. So now with COVID, with all these COVID shutdowns, the food supply chain is getting hit brutally. And um, I'll let this guy, he's the Ice Age Farmer on YouTube. You can check out his uh, video. It's called Food Supply Spontaneously Combusting, Controlled Demolition of Supply Chain. The supply chain is being broken, folks, and food scarcity is around the corner, uh, potentially. So, like I said, stock up while you can. Here's this video. Sugar refineries, grain elevators. Ladies and gentlemen, food seems to be spontaneously combusting around the world right now. As the efforts to engineer food scarcity are ramping up and the controlled demolition of global agriculture is marching forward, this is a crazy week this week with food, factories and warehouses, sugar refineries, grain elevators, all exploding, just literally burning to the ground. And, you know, we'd mentioned after the port of Beirut there burned it down, taking out 85% of Lebanon's grain stores. Uh, and then a train derailed last week where 37 cars of corn just spilled out on the ground, wasted. We said, man, it seems like there's a lot of accidents around food right now. You may need to be careful. It's very dangerous, especially food storage. It seems to be a dangerous place to be right now. I think we called it dead on. So let's talk about that. I'm Christian, and this is the Ice Age Farmer broadcast. And I want to start in Essex, where a massive uh, warehouse burned down yesterday. Here from the mirror, huge blaze rips through food factory, destroying the entire warehouse. And we read that a huge blaze ripped through a food factory in Essex late yesterday night, causing high flames and huge clouds of smoke. The building, which uh had 100 firefighters over 16 crews at the peak of the incident burned completely down there was nothing left of it so the warehouse has almost completely been destroyed only small sections of the external wall still standing nothing in it for sure so what was this building that burned down and 
authorities are still trying to investigate what happened there. This was Kent Foods Limited's uh, brand new 2015 purpose-built flagship depot. It has 2 million cubic feet of storage space from whence we supply the entire southeast of England. They could fit 230 London buses in there, or they could, but they had lots of food, all of which is now gone. And now they don't have their logistics hub, and they're not going to be supplying the entire southeast of England going forward. Kent Foods Limited, obviously a major producer and distributor in the UK, and uh, we're just seeing the infrastructure of our food system exploded right from underneath us while we're still depending on it. In New Orleans, the Domino Sugar Factory caught fire yesterday. Not the factory itself, but the sugar storage silos, which are 10 stories high and had sugar in them. Let's read about this. The fire broke out, quote, in one of two 10-story silos on the property, which the fire department says were packed full of sugar. Uh, employees were evacuated, and obviously the 10 stories worth of sugar that were stored in these silos is wasted now. This further exacerbates the sugar shortage we've been enjoying here in the United States ever since we lost our most of our sugar beet crop uh, last year in the early September blizzard that went through uh, Idaho. And, uh, you know, we saw co-ops leaving mountains of sugar beets out there just unharvested because they were ruined. All right, let's keep going because this one is the most significant in Iowa on the heels of the derecho 18 days ago, which plowed through the, the very heart of the Corn Belt. Iowa is sixth, so 16% roughly, of the U.S. corn production. The U.S., of course, is 40% of the corn production in the world. So you could not have shot weather warfare storms any more effectively to the heart of global corn production than this derecho did right to the middle of the corn belt, straight through the middle of Iowa. The explosion happened at Ag Partners in Royal Iowa around 3.30 p.m. This video was sent in by a viewer. It captures the moment the grain elevator exploded in Royal, which is a town of more than 400 people southwest of Spencer, Iowa in Clay County. First responders from Everly, Spencer, Peterson, and other nearby communities were on the scene tonight waiting for a structural engineer who is surveying the extent of damage to the facility. Crews went door to door in the community after the explosion to check on residents and distribute water where needed. Power to homes in the area was shut down for a while, but was later restored. There was smoke coming from just about every place on the elevator. I don't know if it was uh, after effect of the explosion or something's on fire, but... First responders from Royal and surrounding communities had previously done walkthroughs at this very facility for training. And what we need to emphasize here is that this is on top of, this is a compounding disaster on top of a massive drought they've been enduring there. Farmers are assessing their fields on top of the fact that 96% of the state is experiencing drought conditions. And then we had the derecho. So the USDA now says 14 million acres of crop were affected by the derecho. Severely damaged accounts, uh, 4 million acres of corn and 2.5 million acres of soybean. Corn and beans, that's a ton of crops. Ton, millions and millions of acres. On top of all that, Iowa experiencing the most widespread drought on record since, December, since 2013. The crop damage is probably the worst I've ever seen, largest area of damage, multiple problems, cascading failures. You can see how these things are mounting here. Uh, and we're not gonna know for sure the total damage until next harvest. But again, stepping back, during the derecho, when I covered that, we saw picture after picture. It wasn't just the corn that was knocked over in the fields. It was grain bin after grain bin destroyed. 
knocked over all of the on-farm storage for grains in this hundred mile swath of Iowa was destroyed and uh, that means that farmers now have no place to store their grains in fact truck grassley here is saying many grain bins were destroyed during the derecho this means farmers don't have the ability to keep their their grains anymore so they have to take them to grain elevators boom which are suddenly exploding so you see it's like piece after piece is falling here and the very infrastructure that feeds the nation is being destroyed if you can't shut it down in the name of right we saw that, that california is ordering meat plants to shut down Ontario and parts of Michigan are mandating COVID-19 testing, and that's spreading throughout the U.S. right now, which is then being used as an excuse to shut down farms. So if you can't shut down a farm because of a virus, if you can't order the meat plants closed, if you can't send weather warfare through and take out 14 million acres of crops in a single land hurricane, well, you just burn down the grain elevator. You just explode the silos in Beirut. You just burn everything down. And this is, uh, this is what we're experiencing here, ladies and gentlemen. I think it's pretty clear when you see these things all happening every day that this is a systematic destruction of the systems that feed us because we know they're hitting the reset button on the food supply. They're tearing down the old so that they can build from the ashes, the phoenix of the new world order rising, the new transhumanist food systems. And uh, the governments are not taking steps as we enter the grand solar minimum to ensure that we had food stocked away that we could feed the population. No, they, they, they know this was gonna happen and they are seizing on that opportunity to hit the reset button and take total control. So when we see Bloomberg saying, hey, just like 9-11 meant that we needed to form the Department of Homeland Security, now COVID- Sorry about that. I got cut off at uh, three hours, but I still have plenty more to talk about. Um, so yeah, he he finishes up, you know, saying that it is a uh, you know communist, uh, tyrannical, fascist, uh, new world order agenda, and they're deliberately sabotaging the food supply. And it's you know we're gonna we're gonna feel the effects of the food supply being broken at one point or another, and it may be sooner rather than later. Uh, there are also Instagram farmers. Not Instagram farmers, but like uh, I saw videos of farmers on Instagram talking about how, you know, they're being told by government officials to throw away tens of thousands of pounds of meat from their cattle and chickens and stuff like that. I've seen videos where farmers are showing like they're rotting, um, they're rotting onions and stuff like that. And produce just rotting in the field because uh, they can't get it to the um, manufacturers or uh, the people who prepare it because the plants have been shut down um, because people are testing for COVID. They're testing positive for COVID with the bullshit PCR test. And so, um, you know, we're, like I said, we're going to feel the effects of this probably sooner rather than later um it's just a matter of when and i was reading this article but i didn't know that it was not recording so i'll just read it again because it's pretty funny okay here it is so I wanted to talk about masks because um, there's studies coming out that 
prolonged use of face masks could cause uh, hypoxia on the blood and clotting and stuff like that. And this guy was debunking it. And he was saying, uh, you know, fact number one, face masks are porous. So isn't that exactly what you don't want in a face mask so the virus can't get through? And I was talking about how the pores on a face mask are generally 70 times larger than that of a virus cell. So the face masks aren't doing dog shit anyway, um, even if you subscribe to uh, the false germ theory. Also, fact number two, face masks are loose-fitting. Also, probably not what you want if you subscribe to germ theory. Fact number three, face masks are designed for long hours of use. Well, that doesn't really make any sense because there have been a few studies now showing that face masks um, cause blood hypoxia and clotting with prolonged um, hours of use. Fact number four, there's very little space in the face mask. Uh, okay. <laughs> Fact number five, most civilians won't wear face masks for long hours. Well, that's bullshit because a lot of people do. I see a lot of people driving in their cars by themselves. A lot of people, when I'm out and about, out in nature and stuff like that, people are wearing face masks even when they're completely secluded alone by themselves, which just shows the level of brainwashing. But a lot of civilians are wearing face masks for a long time, and there's some government officials that are saying that you should even wear them at home around your family. So a lot of people are wearing face masks for long hours. And then they even go to say, fact number six, you may get a headache slash feel uncomfortable. And they say, now the carbon dioxide will build up with extended use, but most people will tolerate and not notice it. Like, oh my God, dude. It, <laughs> so they admit, they admit it's not good for you. You're breathing in your own CO2. And it's making you dizzy and giving you a headache. So it does sound like it's causing hypoxia in the blood and all the other bullshit. Face masks are not healthy. Now, there's a video by TrueStream Media uh, discussing how face masks are used for, or masks are used for initiation rituals for various cults and other um, organizations. And I wanted to play that for you guys because I thought it was really uh, interesting. Huxley once wrote that the basic elements in cultural transmission and transformation are psychological. This is how we change. Since time immemorial, high rituals have been performed to transform reality. Ritual, a spiritual psychodrama of conscious deliberate actions taken to facilitate change. Changes to the whole of the environment people exist in starting with the mental landscape of the people themselves, the place where our reality is first born a dream. Artist Sharon Devlin once bluntly described the true purpose of ritual as being a method to alter one's mind. It's a sacred drama in which you are the audience as well as the participant, and the purpose of it is to activate parts of the mind that are not activated by everyday activity, she said. The mechanics of change, change through mechanism, a rhythm to sink to, merge and flow with, a magnetic draw drawing one down the path toward transmutation, 
rituals or vehicles driving home those ideas, the information, the data, the symbols, which upon transmission create the language by which new society members communicate after they are initiated. This new language imparts a new understanding through definitions the ritual generates, meaning pegged to signposts of its own self-referential process, even if the original purpose gets lost in the repetition of action. A ritual initiation introduces and inducts one into the way, a new way of life or worldview, a program to guide beliefs and actions, enabling the initiate to become a full and true member of the new society. Note that ritual is not always a conscious action. Not everyone partaking in a ritual is always made explicitly aware that they are participants. And yet still, new patterns of thought, of significance, are drummed in, conscious or not. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this commercial is going to use subliminal, subliminal, subliminal advertising. An initiation ritual typically involves three stages. See if any of this sounds familiar to you. Because this is going to be transformed. First, isolation for purification. The initiate is separated from the mundane. Did you know mundane means of the world? The initiate is largely removed from the otherwise familiar persons, places, and things one is used to in order to be cleared of them. An essential element of this separation from one's typical environment is the suspension of the normal rules of living that one is used to, the normal way. Much of the initiate's senses will be commanded and regulated at this time. In other words, the majority of what the initiate sees, hears, smells, touches, and tastes, if directly related, is deliberately controlled. These senses may be bombarded, modified, limited, or deprived. But regardless, perceptions and experiences are ultimately overseen by the high priests and priestesses directing the ritual's performance, enabling new light to shine through a newly opened window of thought. Every generation has a higher purpose. Ours. With nowhere else to go except where allowed, the insulated, isolated initiate may be forced to confront his or her own reflection and inner shadows that have been ignored or buried somewhere deep beneath the average day-to-day suddenly become unavoidable. Triggers detonated. Another purge. Just as they involve surrender, initiation rituals may also involve sacrifice. 
both the tangible that can be held in a hand and the intangible, such as behaviors, may be given up by requirement. After all, for something to be given, something must also be taken. A token of submission, an ounce of blood, a pound of clay to be remolded. Whether dramatically overt or deceitfully subtle, the ritual reinterprets. A new definition given. Training in the form of new behaviors and knowledge, including myths and codes. Our world is filled with codes, packs, user agreements, subliminal messages. Necessary for new members to function properly in the society they are being inducted into are all imbued at this time. Repetition is typical, as its use helps hammer the spell home. The wearing of masks may be required. Masking has traditionally played an important role in rituals of this kind. hastening the suppression of ego to help facilitate a death of the old identity before the identification with and manifestation of a new one. Disguised under a mask and hidden away, the initiate is more easily able to transcend the self, pushed further toward that invisible line between the physical and spiritual realms. Trauma is another aspect of this kind of initiation, and most especially to personalize the fear of death. People are dying, and nearly 6,000 Americans have died. Sometimes the act of dying is even ceremonially role-played. The dark beyond the darkness. The yawning abyss. Oh. Only after death is confronted can the initiate be symbolically resurrected, reborn anew. While the process that is playing out is quite coordinated and sophisticated in reality, it may be executed in a purposefully confusing manner. So that the goalposts seem to keep moving back and forth, up and down, here now there, rendering the initiate unable to find solid mental ground from which to make logical sense of anything. This disorientation is key. The uncertain timing generates a general anxiety, further removing the initiate from reality and leaving him or her more susceptible to a type of Pavlovian conditioning. This weakens the defenses just as a virus would. Only this has the potential to break down the individual much more completely than a virus would. I know we're surrounded by uncertainty. Whatever the finer details, the previous way of life is shed like an old skin. 
at the end, the end that comes before the beginning, the change begins. This is the second phase, the transition. It's liminal time, or liminal space. The word liminal literally means a threshold, that we're on a threshold of a new time, a new way of doing things in our, our society, that there's going to be some transformation. As the old self symbolically dies and passes away, the initiate descends into a state of liminality, a sort of fever dream purgatory nowhere land, the void in the middle. Thus the old self dies as the initiate is purified. Now a white room, a blank canvas washed and primed and desperate for paint, a tabula rasa. At the same time his old existence and way of life dies, the initiate transcending it is gradually being processed, reprogrammed, and incorporated into his or her new environment. phase of the ritual, integration. sound familiar now? Again, the people in our government are witting or unwitting participants in carrying out a Luciferian agenda and it is done with occult pra occultic practices like wearing masks and using symbols and all of these other things. Um, if you understand occult symbolism, it's been littered throughout this entire pandemic and the rollout of the pandemic. And something that I've referred to earlier that I want to go deeper on is technocracy and how they want technocracy for us um, there is an article by Whitney Webb called Techno Tyranny 
which I'd like to read. If it loads. It's really funny because every time I go to Whitney Webb's website, Unlimited Hangout, and I click on the Techno Tyranny article, it takes forever to load. Nothing else takes this long to load. So, <laughs> we'll see if it loads here. Here we go. Techno Tyranny. How the U.S. national security state is using coronavirus to fulfill an Orwellian vision. Last year, a government commission called the U.S. called for the U.S. to adopt an AI-driven mass surveillance system far beyond that used in any other country in order to ensure American hegemony in artificial intelligence. Now, many of the obstacles that had cited as preventing its implementation are rapidly being removed under the guise of combating the coronavirus crisis. Last year, a U.S. government body dedicated to examining how artificial intelligence can address the nat national security and defense needs for the United States discussed in detail the structural changes and the American economy and society must undergo in order to ensure a technological advantage over China, according to a recent document acquired through a FOIA request. FOIA means Freedom of, of Information Act, if you didn't know. This document suggests that the U.S. followed China's lead and even surpassed them in many aspects related to AI-driven technologies, particularly their use of mass surveillance. This perspective clearly clashes with the public rhetoric of prominent U.S. government officials and politicians on China who have labeled the Chinese government's technology investments and ex export of its surveillance systems and other technologies as a major threat to Americans' way of life. In addition, many of the steps for the implementation of such a program in the U.S. as laid out in, the, in this newly available document are currently being promoted and implemented as part of the government's response to the current coronavirus crisis. This likely due to the fact that many members of the same body have considerable overlap with the task forces and advisors currently guiding the government's plans to reopen the economy and efforts to use technology to respond to the current crisis. The FOIA document obtained by Electronic Privacy Information Center, EPIC, was produced by a little-known U.S. government organization called the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, NSCAI. It was created by the 2018 National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA, and its official purpose is to consider the methods and means necessary to advance the development of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and associated technologies to comprehensively address the national security and defense needs of the United States. The NSCAI is a key part of the government's response to what is often referred to as the coming fourth industrial revolution, which has been described as a revolution characterized by discontinuous technological development in areas like artificial intelligence, big data, fifth generation tele 
telecommunications networking, also known as 5G, nanotechnology and biotechnology, robotics, the Internet of Things, and quantum computing. However, their main focus is ensuring that the United States maintain a technological advantage in artificial intelligence, machine learning, and other associated technologies relating to national security and defense. The vice chair of NSCAI, Robert Work, former deputy secretary of defense and senior fellow at the Hawkish Center for a New American Security, CNAS, described the commission's purpose as determining how the U.S. national security apparatus should approach artificial intelligence, including a focus on how the government can work with industry to compete with China's civil-military fusion concept. The recently released NSCAI document is a May is a May 2019 presentation entitled Chinese Tech Landscape Overview. Throughout the presentation, the NSCAI promotes the overhaul of the U.S. economy and way of life as necessary for allowing the U.S. to ensure it holds a considerable technological advantage over China, as losing the advantage is currently deemed a major national security issue by the U.S. national security apparatus. This concern about maintaining a technological advantage can be seen in several other U.S. military documents and think tank reports, several of which have warned that the U.S.'s technological advantage is quickly eroding. The U.S. government and establishment media outlets often blame Chinese espionage or the Chinese government more explicit partnerships with private technology companies in support of their claim that the U.S. is losing this advantage over China. For instance, Chris Darby, the current CEO of the CAI, the CIA's, <laughs> all the CAI and CIA is, <laughs> I'm getting mixed up. The current CEO of the CIA's InQtel, who is also on the NSCAI, told CBS News last year that China is the U.S.'s main competitor in terms of technology and that U.S. privacy laws were hampering the U.S.'s capacity to counter China in this regard, stating that data is the new oil and China is just awash with data and they don't have the same restraints that we do around collecting it and using it because of the privacy difference between our countries. This notion that they have the largest labeled data set in the world is going to be a huge strength for them. In another example, Michael Dempsey, former acting director of national intelligence and currently a government government funded fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, argued in The Hill that it's quite clear through that China is determined to erase our technological advantage and is committing hundreds of billions of dollars into this effort. In particular, China is determined to be a world leader in such areas as artificial intelligence, high-performance computing, and synthetic biology. These are the industries that will shape life on the planet and the military balance of power for 
the next several decades. In fact, the national security apparatus of the United States is so concerned about losing a technological edge over China that the Pentagon recently decided to join forces directly with the U.S. intelligence community in order to get in front of Chinese advances in artificial intelligence. This union resulted in the creation of the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, JAIC, which ties together the military's efforts with those of the intelligence community, allowing them to combine efforts in a breakneck push to move government's AI initiatives forward. It also coordinates with other government agencies, industry, academics, and the U.S. allies. Robert Work, who subsequently became the NSCAI vice chair, said at the time that the JAIC's cre creation was a welcome first step in response to Chinese and, to a lesser extent, Russian plans to dominate these technologies. Similar concerns about losing technological advantage to China have also been voiced by the NSCAI chairman, Eric Schmidt, the former head of Alphabet, Google's parent company, who argued in February in the New York Times that Silicon Valley could soon lose the technology wars to China if the U.S. government doesn't take action. Thus, the three main groups represented within the NSCAI, the intelligence community, the Pentagon, and Silicon Valley, all view China's advancements in AI as a major national security threat, and in Silicon Valley's case, threat to their bottom lines and market shares that must be tackled quickly. So you can go on and read this for yourself. It's a fascinating, fascinating article. But from what I've already read, you can glean that they're envious of China and they're worried about China overtaking our artificial intelligence capabilities. So they... What they want is more mass surveillance, more data collection, and they've got all of the heads of government and even the heads of companies like Google and Alphabet from Silicon Valley. They're all conspiring together to do more data collection, to roll out AI, more surveillance, all of this stuff to get a technological edge over China. Or at least that's how, you know, that's how they're going to paint it to the American public. Oh, it's a national security threat. We're really worried. China's going to overtake us. So we need to do these things so they don't do that. <laughs> so like I said, go ahead, go to Unlimited Hangout, uh, which is Whitney Webb's um, website and read... Techno tyranny, how the U.S. national security state is using coronavirus to fulfill an Orwellian vision. So, yeah, go ahead and uh, read the rest of that article. It's really fascinating stuff. Um, so, and then we also have the new normal, which I kind of read earlier from my Instagram, where they want a papers, please, society. They want um, uh, vaccine passports, uh, immunity passports, and 
It's going to be a track trace database. It's going to be a papers please society. That's what they want the new normal to be and data collection and all that stuff. And then also um, DARPA, which is a government program, uh, the top DARPA scientist is talking about how they can put microchips or they call it hydrogel into vaccines. So everybody that thought that conspiracy theorists were crazy for um, talking about microchips and the government wants to microchip us, well, here's the head scientist over at DARPA saying, oh yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Monitoring so, through the SPF. Let's go to the beginning here. Okay, here we go. Hello, uh, I'm Colonel Matt Hepburn. Uh, I'm a program manager in the Biological Technologies Office uh, at DARPA. I am a active duty Army infectious diseases physician and have specialized in uh, addressing biological threats um, that can either be engineered or naturally occurring, such as Ebola or pandemic influenza. Today we're going to be talking about one of the technologies that I actively manage, a company called Profusa, which is aiming at achieving tissue level continuous health monitoring through the SBIR program. We funded them to solve a incredible technical challenge that no one else had been previously able to solve. The key innovation that was presented to us is they said, why can't we make a chemical substance that's really identical to what's underneath the skin, what we call the subcutaneous tissue, so that your body doesn't recognize it as a foreign body response. It just incorporates itself into the tissue. And we have a lot of examples now where a sensor put right underneath the skin can sense things like oxygen, and other chemicals that are very important to our metabolism. And not just sense that for a day or a week or even a month, but we imagine that sensing these parameters can go on for a period of years. One of the most important applications to us is so that we can improve the health of our worldwide deployed military force. We feel a strong sense of obligation that if we're gonna ask somebody to be deployed and to carry out their mission, that we want to keep them healthy. And this technology will give us a way to monitor if someone is getting sick. We imagine that we would be able to sense that very early and therefore prevent them from getting sick and prevent their complications, allow them to stay healthy and continue to carry out their mission. In addition, if our technology translates into general health benefit, we're very excited about that. So in other words, we fund those national security applications. Um, the company finds uh, private sector partnership funding um, for the, that general health benefit. And we see it as really a win-win um, as this technology develops. So there you have it, DARPA admitting uh, and even gloating that they have this technology, hydrogel, where they can inject it into you and it just fucking works its way into your muscles and then it can track your biorhythmics and of course you know they're gonna say it that oh we're using it for the military um so we can keep our soldiers out there and uh we can detect if they're going to be sick and we can keep them healthy and yada 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 they always test this shit first with the military 
on the rank and file uh, in the military, and then they roll it out for civilian use, which he said at the end there that he's very excited about. So, you know, of course he is. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, so microchipping is no longer a conspiracy theory. It is a fact as evidenced by the head scientist over at DARPA. Um, also, I wanted to talk about ID2020. We're going to continue on the... Uh, on the microchip agenda. ID2020 and partners launch program to provide digital to provide digital ID with vaccines. The ID2020 Alliance has launched a new digital identity program at its annual summit in New York in collaboration with the government of Bangladesh Vaccine Alliance Gavi, which is Bill Gates's uh, foundation, one of them anyway, and new partners in government, academia, and humanitarian relief, which also happened to be like Johns Hopkins University, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, you know, all the major players of Event 201. The program to leverage immunization as an opportunity to establish digital identity was unveiled by ID2020 in a partnership with the Bangladesh government's access to information program. The Directorate General of Health Services and Gavi, according to the announcement, digital identity is a computerized record of who a person is stored in the registry. It is used in this case to keep track of who has received vaccination. We're implementing a forward-looking approach to digital identity that gives individuals control over the their own personal information while still building off existing systems and programs, says Anir Choudhury, policy advisor at A2I, the Bangladesh uh, Foundation. Um, the government of Bangladesh recognizes that the design of digital identity systems carries far-reaching implications for individuals, access to services and livelihoods, and we are eager to pioneer this approach. Moving forward, digital ID is being defined and implemented today, and we recognize the importance of swift action to close the identity gap. Comments, ID2020, uh, Executive Director Dakota Grunier, Gruner, um, now is the time for bold commitments to ensure that we respond both quickly and responsibly. We, hit, we and our ID2020 Alliance partners both present and uh, both, both present and future are committed to rising to this challenge. So there you go, digital identification, making sure that you know track trace database that you have your COVID vaccination. Um, Papers Please Society, you know, like I said, whether this is going to be uh, an exclusionary vaccine or a mandatory vaccine, it's pretty much the exact same thing. So, um, moving on, they want they want every they they want to start making smart cities, cameras everywhere, and um, more surveillance. So, 
they can roll out the social credit score system. And, you know, if, in China, if you jaywalk, it deducts points off your social credit score. And that could mean that you would be evicted out of your apartment if your score gets too low. Which, this is also not conspiracy at all. This is real. Look up social credit score system in China and they have facial recognition technology and they can see where or they can see who you are what you're doing and either add to your social credit score or to take away from it so in the future you know if i make a video like this they can just deduct from my social credit score and then i'm completely fucked i can't go into the store if my social credit score isn't high enough i can't live at certain places if my credit score isn't high enough i can't do shit i can't travel so it's a good way of keeping people in line um which is you know like i was talking about with the techno tyranny article you know they want to be where china is right now and so they're going to roll out the mass surveillance systems they're going to uh, develop smarter and smarter AI systems to track and trace us, and do the track trace database and everything like that. And I wanted to show you a video, a couple, couple more videos here about um, Agenda 21 and this woman, Rosa Corey. She is um, a fantastic researcher and she's been researching... Um, Agenda 21 for quite a while now and it's basically a UN agenda to um, reduce the population which Bill Gates um, used to refer to himself as a uh, depopulation uh, expert he's even made comments in the past where he said that if they did a really good job on birth control and vaccines that they could re reduce the population 10 or 15%. So like, what the fuck does that mean, dude? And it means exactly what he said. Through birth control, through vaccines, they can reduce the population. So without further ado, I want to show you Rosa Corey and what she has Bobby. to say. States, California, and uh, my topic, what I speak about, is uh, one of the most vitally important issues of our age, and that is United Nations Agenda 21, Sustainable Development. And uh, as I'll be talking about tomorrow, it is the inventory and control plan, inventory and control of all land, all water, all minerals, all plants, all animals all construction, all means of production, all food, all energy, all information, and all human beings in the world. And this is a plan that was agreed to by 179 nations back in 1992. It's a United Nations plan. It's called the Agenda for the 21st Century. 
And so many of us around the world think that, um, well, sustainable development, it just sounds so great. Isn't it about recycling and creative reuse and, uh, and creating energy and food resources for everyone? And the answer is no, it really is not. It's about moving populations into city centers, concentrated city centers, and clearing them out of the rural areas. So I became, um, I found out about it um, in a very unusual way, actually, because uh, I spent my career as a legal uh, witness, as an expert witness for the California Department of Transportation. I'm an expert in land use and land valuation, and uh, my specialty is in eminent domain valuation. So, of course, I was valuing property for the government so that the government could acquire that property for road projects. And what I found about 10 years ago, uh, around, uh, or 10 or 13 years ago, uh, was that land actually, it was very difficult to say what it was worth because you couldn't know what people could do with it because they were being restricted from using their property. And as I explored that and found that it wasn't just in the San Francisco Bay Area where, uh, where I was working, it was in fact all across the nation and the world, I looked behind that and I found United Nations Agenda 21, Sustainable Development. We created the Post Sustainability Institute uh, in order to educate people about the economic, social, political, and environmental impacts of communitarianism on the world. And communitarianism is that, uh, that concept, that uh, social and political construct that says that the individual's rights should be balanced against the rights of the community. And of course, the community is that amorphous, uh, undefined community that we, you know, when we talk about community, we think we're, of course, part of it and that, you know, it's a positive thing. But really, community is, uh, is constructed. It's constructed of non-governmental organizations, corporations, and government in order to dictate and regulate what it is that happens uh, around the world. And we, as individuals, have literally no influence on that unless we are in agreement with it. If you dissent against the community, against communitarian law or against communitarian uh, social tactics, you're rejected and, uh, and basically uh, made a, an outcast. And that is something that, uh, that we wanted to expose to the world. And the reason that, uh, that we created the Post-Sustainability Institute was in order to sue um, we sued our, our local government, and right now we're suing uh, up higher up in order to stop regional plans because regionalization is the stepping stone to globalization, and globalization is the standardization of all systems. So that includes uh, water, law enforcement, uh, education, energy. All systems have to be brought into harmony in order to control them all. Because when systems don't meet, when they're, when they're out of balance or not in sync with one another, they can't be controlled centrally. And the goal of Agenda 21 is one world government and total control from a central unit. America, the United States of America is really under attack right now. We uh, in the United States are, uh, well the U.S. landmass is about two and a half times the size of Europe and has uh, roughly half the population, uh, just over half. Uh, 
that land mass is huge, and about 75% of the population lives in large cities. The goal is to move everyone out of the, uh, the rural areas and into the large cities, and to destroy representative government, and uh, to move it into um, to a more uh, to government by unelected boards and commissions. Now, here in the EU, of course, you have you know you've already moved to that position, where uh, it's an erasure of jurisdictional boundaries, an erasure of uh, national boundaries, and that is the goal. Because, as the big new Brzezinski said in 1995, um, you can't just impose globalization uh, pell-mell uh, as a total uh, movement. You have to do it incrementally, and the way to do that is through regionalization. And in Denmark, um, for instance, in Denmark, well, every nation that signed on to Agenda 21 has its, uh, its local Agenda 21 plan. And people in the United States are completely unaware of this. If I go out and talk about this, the United States press will attacks me and calls me a conspiracy theorist, which is it's totally ridiculous. It is a conspiracy, but it's not a theory. It's a fact. Uh, here in Europe, um, it's openly spoken about, lo Local Agenda 21, and of course here in Denmark, uh, the Aalborg uh, Principles, uh, 2000, excuse me, 1994, and then Aalborg Plus 10, 2004, uh, was the uh, European Roundtable for uh, Local Agenda 21, was held here. and. The principles are public-private partnerships, which is fascism. And this is how it's implemented uh, on the ground, is through this joining together between corporations, non-governmental organizations, and governments in order to cut out the, you know, the actual individual, your voter, and instead to take that to a level where we literally cannot penetrate. And this is the goal. So this is already far progressed in Europe. The three pillars of United Nations Agenda 21 are economy, ecology, and equity, the three E's, the so social equity. And everyone sort of thinks that they know what that means, the idea of social equity. It must mean that, well, everyone's going to have access to clean water and clean air, and uh, no one's uh, property is going to be used as a dumping ground because they are at a poverty level. But really what social equity is about is about impoverishing huge portions of the population and bringing down uh, develop the developed nations. And while this sounds like, you know, it, it sounds almost like a, uh, in the United States you'd call that a right-wing point of view, a conservative right-wing point of view. I personally am a liberal. Um, the idea that uh, that something this this drastic, this radical, would be happening worldwide without people knowing it. Um, all you have to do is look at austerity measures, restrictions on uh, transfers of uh, of wealth, um, additional restrictions on land use, ability, uh, you know, to to produce, to have, to use your your energy, your water, your industry. All of this is happening in developed nations. So uh, when you have your infrastructure attacked like that, it's actually it's going to have a tremendous impact on your ability to to prosper, as well as the idea that um, that everything that we're looking at now is destined to collapse our economies, because the idea what you know this is a corporatocracy. It's a totalitarian state to being developed right now all over the world. And what major corporations want in this fascist development is to be able to uh, to have Movement, full movement of, of, uh, of workers without 
borders or boundaries, to be able to move their goods through without regulations, and to reduce wages. And so this is the goal. So this is what you find with social equity. That's code for social equity for, for this movement and reduction of the population. So, uh, and of course, economy and uh, ecology is about um, bringing into balance uh, economy, these are the three circles, economy, ecology, and social equity. And where they meet in the center is balance. But really that balance is a communitarian balance. So it's not balance of well-being of the people. What it is is it's a balance for corporations so that they can exploit and control and have populations in an area, in tightly packed, dense areas, so that they can be surveilled and managed. And this is what that balance looks like as far as the development of totalitarian state is. I think it's very important to know that the people now still have an opportunity to fight. All of us across the world understand that our individuality is at stake here. Our most important private property is our body. And of course surveillance is a vital part. Surveillance, uh, domestic surveillance and control is a vital part of this plan. It is a totalitarian plan. But, you know, just like uh, any other extreme plan, we are, uh, while we are moving towards the end game, we are not there. And this is the opportunity that all of us have now to stand up, to speak out, to refuse to collaborate, to refuse to cooperate, to expose collaborators, to work together to defund these plans, to refuse to, uh, to demand what it is the corporations want to give us, and so, uh, because no one's holding a gun to our heads right now, we have that opportunity. If that, if that changes, if that moment changes, you certainly won't protest then. So now is the time. And people all over the world are doing this. It's just that the mainstream media is owned by five major corporations, and you're not going to get this information from the mainstream press. So you need to be your own press. You need to educate yourself. You need to get out there and educate your neighbors, your community, your real community. You need to help your children understand that they're being indoctrinated from pre-kindergarten to post-graduate school. All of us have a responsibility to ourselves and to others. This is true community, to work for personal freedom. And always remember that even though we work as a group, if we do work as a group, we're all individuals in those groups and we answer only to ourselves. And this is essential. It's essential as, as, as free human beings, this is what we are. We are free and we need to continue to be free. And I do believe that we will win, but we have to become aware that there is a fight and then make our friends and our neighbors and our community aware as well and work together. Right now in the United States, uh, we are moving into uh, major massive regionalization. The United States has 50 states, and it's divided into cities, counties, and states, and then the federal government. Instead, Agenda 21 is top-down. It's global, regional, neighborhood, and none of those positions is elected. So in the United States right now, where uh, the development of regionalization is happening very quickly. It's happening with federal funding. There are hundreds of millions of dollars going to local governments in order to have them create regional plans. And what those do is they 
This plan cannot be accomplished without control of land and land use because, of course, where you live often dictates the kind of life you're going to have. So regionalization takes away our opportunity to have an impact. It takes away representative government. So what we are doing at the Post-Sustainability Institute right now is we are suing to stop the biggest regional plan in the United States, and it is a blueprint for the rest of the country. What this plan is doing is essentially saying that no new development will happen anywhere but in 4% of the San Francisco Bay Area, that all 101 cities and nine counties will be joined together and all land use decisions will be made basically by an unelected board. What this will do to land use and land value in the San Francisco Bay Area, to movements of people, to development of business, to freedom, is unfathomable. And people are not aware of it. The only thing that is standing between that and full passage is our lawsuit. Now, um, what this truly means is if you tell people that they have to build only smart growth, high density development in an urban center right on a train line, or the train doesn't have to be there, it's the proposed idea of a train line, and then no development, no buildings, no residential, no commercial can happen outside of that very, very concentrated area, then what do you have? You have a concentration camp of the future. This is exactly what it looks like. And you see, it's very much more subtle and much more sophisticated than it was when the Nazis were doing it. You are not going to get thrown on a train car. You will just have your, uh, your roads out in the rural areas pulverized and turned to gravel. You'll have your family well monitored. You will have your energy restricted. You will have your, uh, your, your school service cut, your, uh, your sheriff service cut. You will find that you are not able to get your goods to market, and then you have to move into the city, and then you will move into this high-density development that is subsidized with our property tax dollars, and pretty soon you will have the Wildlands Project which is predicated on moving people out of the rural areas. And this is how it happens. So, um, you know, people say, well, hey, nobody's getting me off my land. Well, it's very easy. You know, no one's going to come to your door with a gun, but they will move you off your land, and you will be in the cities, and those cities will be full capability of surveillance, monitoring, and control. These buildings, these high-density buildings, are being built with a concept of eyes on the street, you become basically a deputized police adjunct. Your job is to watch the street. Your job is to watch your neighbor. The, the war on terror is a war on you. And we all know this. We feel it. This is why we need to stop it. So this is our plan, is to use the courts at this point and stop this plan. And we're working on it. What she had to say at the end there... Um, <clears throat> reminds me of the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which um, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about. Um, you know, snitches in society. The Gulag Archipelago talks about, you know, after the Russian Revolution and communism took hold, uh, everybody was ratting on each other, at least 
one-third of the Russian population was a direct informant to the Russian communist government. Um, and they demonized a ton of groups of people. Um, and it started with the kulaks and everything like that. Um, definitely listen to... I mean, the Gulag Archipelago itself is like 1,500 pages, and I listened to it on audiobook, which is like <laughs> 70 hours or something crazy like that. Um, so if you can find like a recap, or uh, Jocko Willink, he is a former Navy SEAL commander. He has done um, a podcast about the Gulag Archipelago. So I, I'd really recommend anybody who wants to find out um, anything about the Gulag Archipelago and how communists use uh, the tactic of snitches in society. Um, it makes their job a whole lot easier. So I um, I just wanted to expand on her point at the end there. But again, it's track trace database. They want you in the cities so they can um, surveil you, give you social credit scores. Um, I wanted to show you... Uh, one more video about the technocracy, techno-tyranny that is coming our way. And this is by Spiro Skouris on YouTube. I really ever ask you guys to do This is, um, it's called A Disturbing Glimpse into the Future. Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and the Fourth Industrial Revolution. You might be wondering where that term comes from, Fourth Industrial Revolution. That comes from this guy, I think his name is uh, Klaus Schwab. He uh, is one of the heads at the World Economic Forum. Um, and, you know, he's your classic Illuminati fucking evil villain fucking billionaire jackass. <laughs> uh, you know, plotting behind the scenes. And he wrote... An article for the World Economic Forum saying how we need the fourth industrial revolution with all this AI and techno tyranny bullshit um, that Whitney Webb exposed. So, yeah, here's Spiro Skouris talking about Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and the fourth industrial revolution. And that was a notification from my computer. This video that means you have officially survived the first half of 2020 and something tells me that the second half of this year is going to be just as crazy if not more crazy than the first half was now in this report i wanted to share with you a glimpse of what the not too distant future may look like now yes some of this information will be speculation but it's speculation projecting forward based on the facts that we have today now, i'd like to start off by sharing a couple minute segment from a popular children's tv show on netflix called stretch armstrong now, in my view, this clip is one of the most accurate depictions of a future we may be faced with as reality sooner than we might think. Charter City is stunned by the sudden rollout of Rook Unlimited's most fantastic device ever. The Smart Mark. Throw your other devices away, because the Smart Mark is more than just a phone. It's part of you. Use it as cash. Book your travel. And even shoot video. Distribution points are all over the city. 
And don't let the lines discourage you. The Rook Unlimited Smart Mark is worth the wait. I never realized how wonderful technology could make me feel. The Smart Mark has brought order to my life. And the best part? It's absolutely free. A gift of thanks to our city from Rook Unlimited. 23% of the population has been given the Smart Mark, number one. Time to test our system, number six. The Flex Fighters are out there somewhere. Teaming up with Jonathan Rook, let's put our new recruits to work. Suffer. In case you're confused about what is going on right now, he's playing a uh, clip from a cartoon. Um, again, I was talking about pr predictive programming earlier, um, and they're talking about the smart mark. All these people are getting the smart mark uh, uh, tattooed into their wrist, and uh, you know they're able to participate in uh, commerce and like buy everything with their smart mark and they can record video with it and everything like that um, and it's showing how like these shadowy figures um, behind the scenes are um, manipulating the people's minds um, through the smart mark and uh, making them do certain things um, and it's interesting I just pulled up my Gematria calculator and I Typed in smart mark and smart mark equals uh, 33. <laughs> Remember we were talking about 33 a lot earlier with uh, masonry and uh, secrecy and order and all that stuff that equals 33. So uh, funny how, you know, the most important number in Gematria, um, smart mark equals 33. But anyways, continuing on. the smart mark seems pretty far-fetched huh or is it it actually might not be as far-fetched as you may think in fact much of this technology is already in development and is getting ready to be rolled out as we transition from this current system of control into the new digitalized system of control which will be the cherry on top of the international surveillance state now this new digitalized system of control was highlighted in my recent report about the world economic forums great reset which incorporates the fourth industrial revolution one of the most important reports I have done. Now, the Great Reset is an initiative launched by the World Economic Forum 
and is supported by the United Nations, the central banks, the mega corporations, and the governments. Essentially, the entire establishment is all on board with this agenda to usher in this new system of control, which is, of course, justified by the coronavirus pandemic, which is, of course, going to be blamed for the economic crisis and the ensuing civil unrest and the coming uh, food shortages. Now, these are all their words. They have stated this, not me. The COVID-19 crisis has shown us that our old systems are not fit anymore for the 21st century. It has laid bare the fundamental lack of social cohesion, fairness, inclusion, and equality. Now is the historical moment, the time, not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system for the need for the post-corona era. We have a choice to remain passive, which would lead to, an, to the amplification of many of the trends we see today. Polarization, nationalism, racism, and ultimately increased social unrest and conflicts. But we have another choice. We can build a new social contract, particularly integrating the next generation we can change our behavior to be in harmony with nature again. And we can make sure that the technologies of the fourth industrial revolution are best utilized to provide us with better lives. In short, we need a great reset. So the Netflix kids show Stretch Armstrong starts off with what is essentially a digital tattoo. Now digital tattoos have been in the works for years and have been said to have the potential to revolutionize the healthcare industry. For example, Microsoft partnered with MIT on a digital tattoo project which had many different uses. And now, digital tattoos can be used to track patients' health status, they can be used to access people's smartphones, people's social media accounts, and it can even be used for cashless payments. All of this as the US, China, and many of the world's central banks and governments are ready to roll out their own central bank digital currencies as we approach the coming cashless society. Now, recently we learned of another Gates Foundation funded program, again in partnership with MIT, for the quantum dot tattoo, which could be used to track who has been vaccinated. Now, Gates also came out recently and said there needs to be a digital vaccine certificate to keep track of who has been vaccinated, something unsurprisingly was endorsed by Dr. Tony Fauci. Now, this could very easily and very likely be incorporated into immunity passports, which are ready to be rolled out in 15 different countries, including the United States, the UK, Canada, Mexico, and several others. Now, all of this, of course, could be tied into yet another Gates-backed project in partnership with the United Nations in ID 2020 under the UN's Sustainable Development Goal 16.9 to provide every man, woman, and child a digital ID, including birth registration. So it is very clear we are moving towards a new system where everything and everyone will be incorporated into this new digitalized system of control, where everything about you, every aspect of your life will be digitalized and centralized and controlled essentially by the establishment. And this is where the social credit scores will also really play a major role in shaping your decisions. So, am I saying we're all going to have to get a tattoo that will contain all your information? Or will it be a microchip? Well, no, not necessarily. But when it gets to the point that Michigan, the state of Michigan, has to pass a bill providing a clear distinction that being microchipped 
could not be forced and has to be voluntary, we're probably not that far off. And it doesn't have to necessarily even be a tattoo or a microchip. After all, uh, that may be too invasive and it may be met with resistance, right? So it could come in many other forms. It could also be all incorporated onto your smartphone. It, it likely will. But it will also likely include some form of biometric technology such as fingerprints or facial recognitions. So going back to the Netflix children's show, the smart mark is rolled out suddenly uh, by an evil villain. And the ultimate objective of the smart mark is mind control. Now surely that part of the show must be too far-fetched, right? Well, as crazy as this sounds, no. Uh, mind control is not too far-fetched, at least not for the U.S. government who conducted secret experiments on mind control like MKUltra. Mind control wasn't too far-fetched for the scientists who conducted experiments on mice and rats by implanting chips in their brains or having a brain interface. And that kind of reminds me of Elon Musk's Neuralink project where he aims to literally implant microchips and wires into human brains and with an end goal of integrating artificial intelligence into humans. You know, a monkey has been able to control the computer with his brain. Just, yeah. This is a penny. It's pretty small, right? It's roughly the same size as the tip of my thumb. Now, zooming in extremely close, this right here is the needle that will be inserted into your skull. Placing it beside a penny, you actually couldn't see it. As the robot inserts each thread one by one, at the end, there could eventually be up to 10,000 of these electrodes inside your head, each responsible for recording separate neurons which can later on be analyzed. But not only can they read data from your brain, they can also input data as well. It's a two-way street. It's sort of like being able to upload and download things from your brain. This project is essentially part of the World Economic uh, Forum's fourth industrial revolution, where these social engineers decide and dictate the future of humanity for us. They openly talk about merging man with machine. This is a transhumanist agenda being rolled out by the technocrats. I know this sounds crazy, and I wouldn't believe it if I didn't see it for myself. And I rarely ever ask you guys to do anything, but right now I'm going to ask everyone. After you finish watching this report, please search Fourth Industrial Revolution on YouTube, or click the link in the description, and you will find the official World Economic Forum's own video on the Fourth Industrial Revolution talking about merging man with machine. You will hear them talk about gaining access to people's thoughts and emotions and building a construct for them to safely operate and think in. This is the definition of mind control. One of the things that I think is so essential to free and open societies is freedom of thought. Um, and up until now, the conversation we've been having is around freedom of speech. Once we can access people's thoughts and access people's emotion, um, we have to create a space that enables people to think freely, to think divergent thoughts, to think creative thoughts. And in a society where people fear having those thoughts, uh, the likelihood of being able to enjoy progress is significantly diminished. Now, do you really think that if the technocrats of this fourth industrial re revolution were actually able to merge man with machine and have the ability to literally control your thoughts and emotions, that they wouldn't do it? Of course, it'll be sold as, you know, the greatest scientific achievement in history, helping the blind to see and uh, helping the disabled to walk. Uh, but history shows us that things which could be used to benefit humanity are all too often weaponized and used against it.
So once again, going back to the Netflix children's show, is this predictive programming? Is this conditioning our children for the coming digitalized dystopian future enslavement of humanity? Or is this a warning? Share your thoughts below. You can follow my work on BitChute, Twitter, and ActivistPost.com. I'm Spiro. Thanks for watching. Good evening. I can see some of you are still busy with checking the WhatsApp messages on your phones. What if I tell you, in the future, you might not even have to hold your phone in your hand to do this. If you had the choice, would you implant your smartphone into your head? Let us do a thought experiment and try to imagine what it would be like if we lived in a world where this would be possible. In that world, you could access all the functions of your phone using your thoughts. Everything that you usually see on the screen would be displayed into your visual space. Sitting here and listening to me, you can look up who was this guy called Elon Musk again, just by thinking about him. The answer, including a nice picture of Mr. Musk, would instantly be displayed in front of you. With a quick thought command, you can share what you see and hear with a friend in Hong Kong, who can participate as if he would be here with us. I rarely ever ask you guys to do anything, but right now I'm going to ask everyone. After you... So that's the whole thing with Neuralink. <clears throat> you know, just uh, another way of... <laughs> brainwashing us i mean they really don't even need that and so many people are brainwashed anyway but now they're just gonna fucking implant technology straight into our heads and they even said it themselves you know they're gonna be able to upload shit into your brain and then you had that one bitch say like oh yeah, yeah well you know freedom of thought could be a problem and we won't be able to enjoy progress so you know maybe we could use this technology to uh you know give people more creative and accepting thoughts and shit like that i'm just like oh god damn it like oh dude these people are completely psychotic and they're all psychopaths um Oh, there's this really good video by this guy, Richard Grannon, How to Respond to the Bullying Threats of Criminal Psychopaths. You should definitely check that out. Very good. I would play it, but this podcast is now getting into uh, the four-and-a-half-hour range, so I don't I don't know if I'll play that 15-minute video now. Um Let's get into uh, depopulation. So eugenics is a thing that has been going on for a long time. And uh, it's come out in several countries that they've been engaged in sterilizing different segments of the population. There's, here's the story. After years of denying it, Israel finally admits to sterilizing black Ethiopian Jewish immigrants without their knowledge. That's just one example. And so, again, not a conspiracy. Um, governments have been sterilizing segments of their populace um, throughout history and in recent history and right now. Um, and so eugenics is real and it's here 
and you know who knows what this upcoming vaccine is going to do to you um i know that it's an rna vaccine which they want to fundamentally change your dna so it can be covid resilient but i mean think about the implications of that you're fundamentally changing your dna i mean what who are you what will you be what will you become you know you're not gonna be human anymore you're gonna be a fucking brainwashed cyborg <laughs> that's what they want to do to you so um and then i wanted to touch on the georgia guidestones you know these giant megalithic stones appeared randomly in georgia um i don't know i think in the 80s um and they don't they have no idea who put them there who wrote them or whatever but somehow they made it like a national park (laughs) and people go there and read the stones but on the stones it's you know each rule or law or whatever the hell uh is in a different language and one of the rules is they want society to be at 500 million in the entire world says we want or keep population at 500 million in accordance in perpetual accordance with nature so the whole climate change agenda which is another video and the vaccine thing is another video but ultimately they want the population of the world down to 500 million they have to kill 7 billion people in order for that to happen. How are they going to do it? You tell me. But the vaccine, uh, (laughs) I won't be taking it. (laughs) So, um, and you know, now I'm seeing that they're rushing it um, to production. They haven't even finished the trials, but they're going to go ahead and... uh, um, start rolling it out in October, like late October or early November, you know. So, you know, that's good. They haven't even finished the trials, and they've skipped several trials already, and they're just going to rush it out, and people are going to take it in droves. So that's going to be a really fun time when that happens. So I just want to recap real quick. This is all bullshit. Coronavirus is not real. We, we're being set up for a techno-tyrannical fascist system that's going to lead us into a dystopian hellscape where they're going to track and trace every movement that you make, give you a social credit score, and if you don't go along with it, you are utterly fucked. That's what they want, and we need to push back. I should have made this video so... I should have made this video so long ago. I should have. And that's my fault. Because now we're getting to almost a point of no return. Because, like I said, October is going to be fucking hell. So we need to, we need right now to start pushing back with all this bullshit. So 50 to 80% false positive rates. Um, PCR test is total bunk. It wasn't made for that and the guy it wasn't made to determine 
positive or negative for different viruses. It was made for a different reason, which the guy who made it said himself, 94% died from at least three other comorbidities out of the total number of coronavirus deaths. What happened to two weeks to flatten the curve? Dr. Tedros is a total piece of shit. We went over germ theory. Hopefully that was compelling. We went over the script, how it was scripted. Event 201, Clade X, 600, Clade X, 666 days before the pandemic, before it was coronavirus was officially announced the pandemic. Rockefeller lockstep program, how they said back in 2010 there's going to be an event or there's going to be an outbreak where people are going to have to wear masks and get body temperature checks to enter places of business. That's happening right fucking now. Um, Gematria, we went over all of the 56s, the 222s, the 121s, about how they've been riddled all over um, this this whole rollout of the pandemic. Um, again, please watch James Corbett's Bill Gates documentary. Perfectly describes what a piece of shit that guy is. Um, why would they lie? Watch Noam Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent. Watch Minds of Men. Watch The Century of Self. And really research into Edward Bernays. Um, the government's lied us into wars. Uh, done all those false flags, that entire list of false flags that I read, you guys. I mean, they've done it before. They'll do it again. They do not care about your health and safety. They're willing to kill you to advance their agenda. Please don't think that they're trying to take care of you by making you isolate yourself and uh, giving everyone PTSD. Um, and then look into... Operation Mockingbird and MK Ultra, those are real CIA programs. Uh, we talked about the supply chain, how they're deliberately destroying uh, different supplies or different uh, different areas of the supply chain, and it's going to catch up with us sooner or later. The Ice Age Farmer, really good channel to check out on YouTube, has a ton of videos. Uh, explaining all of this stuff and if you wanted to start getting into permaculture and making your own vegetables and raising chickens and shit like that check out ice age farmer he's got a lot of good information on those kinds of topics and um talked about masks that are causing hypoxia and blood and you know you're breathing in your own co2 and it's making people lightheaded and dizzy and so on and so forth when they wear them for prolonged periods and how it's an initiation ritual. True Stream Media did a fantastic job um, covering that in their video. We talked at length about technocracy and I really wanted to drive that home because that's what they want. They want the technocracy. They want to herd us into these cities and roll out the track trace database. They want to... Um, fulfill their Agenda 21 um, goals and they're going to do ID2020, DARPA, Hydrogel in the vaccines. Um, the new normal is bullshit. You shouldn't go along with it. Um, and then we just talked about depopulation 
and how that's their ultimate goal. So these people are psychopaths. They're Luciferian psychopaths that want you dead and don't care about you. Do not think that they're trying to save you by making you isolate yourself away from your loved ones and friends. Now, I want to close it out with the ancient Agent Smith um, quote from um, The Matrix because I think that perfectly describes um, how these people really think about us. So let me cue this up here. And I'm after this is done playing, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, end the podcast. So I really hope that everything that I've said and everything that I've shown, the experts that I've brought forth, the documents, what the CDC has said, um, how the WHO is a criminal organization. Um, I really hope that this made some impact on your perception towards this obvious hoax, in my opinion. And really not even in my opinion, this is documentable fact at this point. Everything that I've shown you, this should be clear-cut now. And I hope you agree with me. And I hope this wakes you up and that we could start pushing back against these monsters. Because that's what they are. They are monsters. They're not it's they're not human. Because humans don't do this to each other. They hate us. They want us dead. They want the world population down to 500 million. And if you think you're going to be a part of that 500 million, you're sadly mistaken. So with that said, this is Ryan with Conspiratorial Conspiring. We'll end it here with the uh, Agent Smith interrogation scene from The Matrix. And I'll talk to you guys later.
give your civilization. I say your civilization because as soon as we started thinking for you, it really became our civilization, which is, of course, what this is all about. Evolution, Morpheus. Evolution. Like the dinosaur. Look out that window. You've had your time. The future is our world, Morpheus. The future is our time. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. The only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. And we are the cure. Can you hear me, Morpheus? I'm going to be honest. Zion, and you have to tell 